Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of The Scream Lords, the spookiest episode of the year. And this week, given the nature of our spooky episode, I'm joined by brand, by two brand new co-hosts. Well, sort of new. They're new in name. So please welcome our resident flesh-eating monster, returned from the grave, Tim Fanoia. It's good to be back. And all the <laughs> way from the undisclosed east, the darkness that is the night, Nick Rivera. I am the terror that flaps in the night. I am the smoke that smokes smoked oysters. That's good. That's good. I am good. Nick Rivera. <laughs> I'm, I'm digging it. You had me on board. So if you've never listened to the Scream Lords before, we are a pop culture podcast. So we discuss any, everything from board games to video games, card games, movies, comic books, regular books, books with pictures, books that pop up and frighten you when you open them. I hope I'm not alone in being scared of pop-up books. I'll admit, I don't like, I don't like Jack in the Boxes. See, that, that toy is designed just to frighten people. And that's not fair. <laughs> that, that scene in Elf. Where he's testing the jack in the boxes. <laughs> I relate to that so much because I'll see one at the toy store and I'll always stop and do the thing. And always at that one point, you kind of slow down, waiting for it, waiting for it. It doesn't happen. And then just that one extra little push is what makes it pop out. And I mean, what horrible person decided, hey, let's make jump scare the game. But instead of a game, it's just a <laughs> crank. It's, it's basically Russian roulette for kids. It's just turn this until you get scared, which... That's that's terrible. They should call it that. Not Jack the Box. It's turn this till you get scared. <laughs> I mean, it's starting off real spooky here with Jack in the Box talk. <laughs> what you you telling me that Jack in the Box is uh, Jack in the Box isn't spooky? I mean, maybe I haven't been seeing the right Jack in the Boxes. I mean, there's. I mean, you must know. There's got to be at least half a dozen movies about Jack in the Boxes, like scary movies about Jack in the Boxes. Come on, right? Yeah, right. I can I can think of a couple. See, I was really worried there wasn't going to be any, and that I was going to be in trouble there. Uh, no, I mean there's probably like uh, what was it, Toy Man versus the or Doll Man versus the demonic toys with that Jack in the Box thing. There's uh, Krampus. They have the Jack in the Box thing. I mean, it's there's not a. Is that that recent Krampus movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that. I really I really want to, especially after I recently read the book Krampus by. Um, I think that was Brom who did Krampus. Fantastic book, by the way. If you're into like really heavy mythological like horror books, mm-hmm. yeah, Brom stuff is really good. And Krampus is phenomenal because it's you know like just a big scary book that has like Norse mythology in it. But it's just also really interesting because it teaches you about Krampus and some of the 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 traditional festivities around Krampus. So it's kind of neat. Yeah, I figure I'll bring up the actual Krampus uh, movie closer to the. The holiday season coming up in December. That's true. Yeah, Krampus is one of those like gray areas where he's like, well, I guess not. I mean, he's he's technically the Winter Solstice character, but he could also be, you know, like a Halloweenish kind of thing. He is a little terrifying at times. Yeah. But anyway, uh, <laughs> kind of off track right at the intro. So we like it's to, to be start. Back. Yeah, we we like to start our podcast every week, going back a little bit and talking about what we've been kind of doing in the previous week. Uh, and since this is kind of a special episode, we're definitely doing kind of a Halloween horror twinge to it. So Nick, what have you been up to this past week? I got back into painting. I am kind of Ooh. happy to be back. Yep, and in honor of Halloween and whatnot, I am doing Ecto One. There's a the Ghostbuster. Crowd. There's an Ecto One model. 
Yeah, of course, especially for cars. Hell yeah. Oh, I guess I never really thought about that. Yeah. I have to sacrifice some areas because, like, Testers is, like, a really good brand for model cars, and it's enamel-based, and I'm not... I can't use that with brushes, like, in the same way that I would do my miniatures. It's best to, like, airbrush and stuff. So, like, the body, I have to keep plain, and I don't want to paint it white. It just... It'll come out like crap. So, <clears throat> I'm doing the... I just finished the interior for the most part. If you follow me on Instagram, you can see my progress. I but, might have to look um, at that, because I've never painted enamel miniatures, or models. Well, no, I'm I'm not... Well, no, that's... It's, it's, enamel is the paint. Oh, I see. But that's, like... Yeah, I'm using just the regular like the Citadel paint. But it's slowly, it's slowly getting there. I just finished the interior. I'm still doing touch-ups here and there, but <clears throat> it's uh, coming along. Next, I have to do all the tchotchkes and crap that's on the top of the car. If the car is simple. It's pretty much you do the interior, you do all the crap that's on mm-hmm. the hood and or not on the hood on the roof, and you're pretty much done. Does it have a decal for the um, the Ghostbuster logo? Oh yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch. Uh, okay, I wasn't I wasn't sure if they were logos. gonna if they were gonna make you have to like freehand it or something, which would be a little ridiculous. Nope. You actually have the option too of doing either Ghostbusters one or two. That was gonna be my next question. Mm-hmm. Which one do you think you're gonna do? One. The second one shows like the no ghost symbol, but he's like holding the number two yeah. or like doing the, the number two with his hand. And I think that's mm. stupid. A uh, quick quick poll. Uh, favorite Ghostbuster film one or two? I mean, I probably would have to see the first one. Yeah, yeah me too. I, I, but I mean, I feel like the second one might be more quotable. That's true. I just, I, I just recently watched what's his name, the uh, Nostalgia Critic, mm-hmm. in his his episode, his uh, yeah, his video about Ghostbusters two, and I was, uh, I really like Ghostbusters two, and I remember liking it, and I'd probably still like it if I watched it now. But he he made some valid points as to why it's not good, and it made me a little sad. I mean, the second one, for the most part, has a lot of, like, rehashed story beats from the first one. Like, the courtroom thing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that... Plus, I feel bad that they always give Winston the shaft in both movies. Yeah, I don't understand. Why wasn't Winston at the trial? Like, Winston was my favorite Ghostbuster. Really? Like, from the movies or, like, the comics? Just everything. Oh, interesting. Um... It was the he was the everyman and it, yeah he, he, that's true he was just helped you see like this extraordinary life like he he doesn't know what the hell's going on right he was just the yeah. hired guy who was just like yeah I need a job mm-hmm. huh I didn't think of it that way but yeah he should have been at the trial I don't know why he wasn't and then he doesn't show up in Ghostbusters two till like halfway through the movie except for the opening scene right yeah like the nostalgic he just made so many points where like like how how Tim said yeah it's kind of like just in a lot of ways a regurgitated plot. And it's almost like the first movie never happened in some ways because it's like, oh, no one's ever heard of the Ghostbusters or what's the Ghostbusters? It was like that was like a couple of years ago in like a citywide thing. Like we all know. Yeah, really. I mean, plus the whole thing of like they pretty much save the city and whatnot in the first one and the second one they're doing like birthday parties and they're all separated from each other. Yeah, there was some. There was so much potential. It was just like, and I never realized it, but when you get into the uh, the Peter Venkman Dana Barrett story in the second movie. It, it wasn't until like they pointed out in the video. I was like, "Oh yeah, this is just what we wanted—the love interest from the first movie to just happen again, except without any of the charisma." Because in between the movies, they they tried getting married and got divorced or broke up, and totally wrecked that whole chemistry. It doesn't, yeah. 
Yeah, why would they? Why would they show that? Who wanted? Who wanted a story about how Peter Venkman and Dana Barrett didn't get together, or did, and it didn't work out? I think a lot of it was the parents getting involved because it caught on as a phenomena for the kids mm. because of the television show, and <clears throat> they had to redirect some of their original thought plans for what they wanted to do. I mean, Nostalgia Critic did a good job of explaining like behind the scenes too. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah. Um... I mean, he made he made a lot of sense of it, but he he definitely poked some very valid holes in that story and the whole the whole production mm-hmm. of that movie that made me look at it and kind of like, uh, I, maybe that wasn't as good as I thought. Way, I mean, it's it definitely feels very samey. It it probably feels as samey as um, what was it? Uh, Star Wars: A New Hope, and then um, the first of the new trilogy. I can't remember what it's called. Mm. Force Awakens. Yeah, Force Awakens. Which had very similar plot points. I mean, they weren't the same movie, but there's there's a, a ton of parallels. Yeah, well, they put, they played it safe for the sec the, the new one, but I mean, I don't know. I was talking to you about it earlier, and I'm, I'm you know what? I'm not even gonna go down that path. It's the dark side. <laughs> so for your your Ecto one, are you going to get the team as well, or are you just gonna stick with the car for now? Oh, it's just the car. It's it's a full size like model car. So you need for like the normal size like the normal model car size so it's like you know this thing is what maybe like nine ten inches long see so now you need full full scale egon like sitting in the front seat Mm. (laughs) (laughs) or just you know a really big twinkie (laughs) see i always for the longest time i always thought peter vankman was my favorite but the more i thought about it i really do like egon quite a lot who's listening to star wars someone's listening to star wars me (laughs) <laughs> just am hear I, Star Wars am, now? Am I listening to Star oh. Wars? <laughs> I have a YouTube thing on in the background. I had ambient noise, and all mm. of a sudden I started hearing AT-AT. I'm like, what the fuck? I mean, ambient Star Wars, I mean, that's you know, that's kind of a thing, right? Well, it was a little distracting, and all of a sudden I could hear like the Battle of Hoth happen. That is not ambient. I mean, if you were going for like the regular, like the, was it like the Force Rises song or whatever? Like the classic one from like Luke in the, the Wampa Cave? I could see that. Mm. But like, if you've got Battle of Hoth or like Imperial March playing, that's not really ambient. I can't fall asleep to the Imperial March. No, no. As much as I love it, you cannot. I could try. Although I do have, I do have an app on my phone for ambient like go to sleep noise that occasionally, occasionally I'll use, and you can like create mixes for it. So they have like classic like oh thunderstorm or like crickets. Or babbling brook, like they have tons, tons of different ones. Some of them are kind of weird. So occasionally, I like to fall asleep to my my sleep mix, which is Medieval Tavern, um, <laughs> which is wind flute plus like cafe noise and thunderstorm. It's quite lovely. I like thunder. I take naps in the car at work during my lunch break, and I'll put on like a thunderstorm. It's this nice. Is, this has become very soothing. I almost feel like I should be like, this is NPR. <laughs> anyway so yeah ecto one i'll have to check out your instagram and 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 see how it's coming along i used to be a huge star wars fan oh it's star wars fan well i mean yeah (laughs) it's true though i I used to used to be a huge ghostbusters fan had tons of toys i was i was a ghostbuster for halloween once with my little my little backpack and you had the, the the gun that you could had a little like crank on it because it had a foam like beam that you put into the gun, and it would make it spin. That's pretty cool. Do you have a Spirit of Halloween store near you? Maybe they have a um, a trap like prop that you can buy for your costume, and it looks pretty legit for it being like a plastic thing that you can buy instead of like a real like replica. 
Hmm. I, I, I remember one when I was little that had that was like air powered. So you had the pedal, but it was just like an air cushion, and it would just like kick out the doors just from like the air pressure of you pushing on it, which wasn't great, and it didn't always like they didn't the doors didn't always stay open. Like they would pop open and close really quick, and I was like, oh, that wasn't very good. It'd be real nice to have a childhood. I had a Kleenex box with a string attached, and I would just make <laughs> noises with my mouth. Wait, you mean you like? You used to have tissues? <laughs> no, just the box. Nah, peasants. No. I, was, I was trying to do the Deadpool thing, but I mean that works. But there's a Deadpool yeah the reference there. Well, yeah, he was like, you... oh, I used to sleep in a dishwasher box. He's like, at least you had a dishwasher. <laughs> Deadpool, so good. All right, moving on. So Nick, what else did you have for your week this week? Uh, for board gaming news, I purchased a game. It is called. Right next to me, Alien Frontiers. I say you 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 can't remember it that much that you have to go look at it. Well, we've been busy and like I haven't actually had time to open it. Even it's still in the plastic wrap. Oh, you have to play it. No, I know. We've just been busy. That's all. No, I know. Um, I don't. I don't know anything about it. That's why I want you to play it. Yeah, the people that we usually play with, they had like um, they went on their anniversary and they've been going through some stuff, so they haven't had the opportunity to come over. But the next time we have a gaming night, we're gonna do that. I'm excited. It's your it's your first worker placement game. Yeah, you mentioned how like you really liked them. So the last time I went into our friendly local game store, Battlegrounds, I decided, you know what, let me look to see what worker placement games there are, and I looked up just top 10 and that one was kind of up there and after about like looking in the store for half an hour i finally found it and um decided you know what yeah this will be it you know it's not fair the fact that you looked up a top 10 for a game that i want to say came out maybe four years ago and your store actually had it i'm I'm just, I'm so angry about that. Are they that well stocked, or did they just never get rid of the stock when it was new? That's true. I'm not sure, but the fact that you could get it is amazing. Like, that that doesn't even, that doesn't even make sense to me. Oh yeah, it came out 2010, so that game is eight years old. It is, from everything I've seen, um, in terms of reviews, a great worker placement game. So, I mean, it's a great, it's a great find. And the fact that a, a, like a local game store just had it on the shelf really speaks to how well or how good their, their buyer is. Whoever their rep is, is doing an incredible job. Like, I can't remember if I, if I said this on the podcast last year, but with Battleground, Battleground, Battlefront. Battlegrounds. Battlegrounds. Like, I just went in there randomly one day when I was down visiting you guys and they had, I mean, they had Detective, which, you know, some people have Detective because it's brand new and a lot of people are talking about it. But they also just had Robinson Crusoe sitting on the shelf, which is an old game. It's a fantastic game, and it's won basically every award that's there except the Spiel des Jahres. But that's because it's, you know, it's a heavy game, which the Spiel doesn't usually award heavy games. And they they just had it. Like, didn't have the special order. It was just something that they knew about and kept in stock, which is amazing. Because normally with friendly local game stores, you either have one or two sides. Either the only thing they have is the new hotness, which is great because everyone wants the new hotness. Like, that's just how this hobby works. Or you have the game store that just carries mass market stuff and party games, which is usually terrible. And I guess the only other place you is is kind of like in that weird middle where you don't really have much, but you have like party games and stuff that's left over because your stock doesn't move and uh, you guys are so lucky to have battlegrounds that place is amazing it is nice i don't take it for granted this is like we mentioned in one of our previous episodes target is up and coming but this game is not at target you know yeah and just like 
I appreciate that Amazon is so readily available to us, but I don't like using it as a crutch for everything. I enjoy going out and finding stuff that I need to get. Like Ecto-1, I know I can find it online right now. I could probably find 10 different versions of it. But this one, I found, like, actually when we were two apartments ago, when we were living next to that other comic shop, I picked it up then. And it was at a comic shop that I picked it up, not just online. You've had the Ecto-1 for that long? Yeah, I just haven't had this. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like, and you just painted it now? That's crazy. I haven't had time or, um, like, set up for it because it's going to be involved. No, that's true. I'm I'm not trying to criticize you. I'm just, like, I know you went through, like, a huge painting spree, Mm -hmm. like, half a year ago. And I just would have assumed that anything within your grasp would have been painted. Oh, no, I still have more stuff that I haven't uh, done yet. Like, I had the Batmobile. I did that one, Tim Burton's. Um, I did a a plane. Oh, probably one of the best. I was gonna say that's probably one of the better ones, but I did like the Adam West Batmobile. Like I know it's like campy and kind of dumb, but I kind of liked it. Adam West Batmobile is one of the more common ones. I usually see that one whenever I go and look at the actual like car aisle for models. Aside from miniatures, there's not much else to paint. I feel like I have to buy board games just so I can find more stuff to do. Yeah, really. There's no shortage of board games and miniatures now, especially if you start looking at like Simon games. Huh. All of their stuff is miniatures. I mean, that, that that makes sense. I mean, they start off as the website Cool Mini or Not, which is basically Facebook for miniature painters. And I don't mean, like, small painters. I mean, like, people who paint I don't know why things. that kind of joke always gets me. It's like the ghost <laughs> pirate <laughs> thing. <laughs> the ghosts that became pirates, or are they pirates that died and became ghosts? Oh, oh man. Question. Nick, do you, Nick, do you remember senior year in high school philosophy class <laughs> no. when I broke that out? <laughs> Oh man, that was that was like <laughs> highlight of my ha- my high school career. I'm trying to remember what we were talking. We were talking some topic in philosophy, and it just it made me think of it because it, it was weirdly similar. And so I raised my hand and asked the teacher, "So is that kind of like pirate ghosts?" And she's like, "What?" And I said, "You know, are they ghosts who consciously made the decision to become pirates, or pirates who died and became ghosts?" And I had a full classroom laugh. Like that was riding that, that high was, ever that since. That was tough for me back in the day. And I was I was riding it the whole time. <laughs> you know, what is it? Seventeen years later. Seventeen years? That We're wow, old. is that accurate? Every, no, yeah, I was gonna say close. everybody at home quickly do math to figure out oh, Dave's age. Don't, don't don't do that. Don't do it. And then uh yeah. And then uh, it's not really spooky, but I actually just say it's spooky. Oh, all right, all right, here's something scary. I actually downloaded <laughs> a mobile game. There you go. Whoa! <laughs> That's like the punchline to a horror comic. I'm heavily that I downloaded a mobile game. Don't know. And just with the amount of permissions that a lot of apps require you to accept and agree to, I don't appreciate. So my phone is like bare minimum. Like I don't play games on it because games are kind of worst defenders for it. Um, long story short, this one came out, and uh, big reason too is no additional permissions for it, and it's called Reigns, and it's uh, game of thrones game it's pretty interesting that you are elected king you get to play as <clears throat> um john daenerys Tyrion, any of like the big major characters as if they were sitting on the throne and then you're presented with a bunch of questions that have yes or no takes on it so it's kind of like choose your own adventure and depending on the choices you make tells you how long you last on the throne before you're killed in some way shape or form see that, that's really interesting. When I looked at the screenshots when you mentioned this, I had no idea what this was about. It's still, I'm like, still I, I, could, I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. It's um, a little tricky at times because like there's there's four different factions that you have to appease. 
to appease the military, you have to appease the faith, you have to appease the people and the bank. And none of them can grow too high because they just look at it more so as like you're being greedy in that one specific way and you, actions will kill you for it. And you can't let them take too far down else, well, you're either too greedy if you hoard too much money or they'll kill you because you're not paying them money like you're in the deficit so it's a constant checks and balances wanting to make the proper choices to stay afloat and the most i've been able to live for is like maybe 30 days and it's it's tough but it's enjoyable i like it it's um there's a non game of thrones version just simply called reigns and it's the same con the game of thrones hmm you know you know what you might like if you're enjoying that kind of like checks and balances like political make decisions game? There is a video game, I think it's on Steam, and it's called Democracy, where essentially you're playing as a presidential candidate who wins the election, and then you have to basically run, go through your first year as president while trying to make good on your campaign promises, balance the interests of your constituents, and pay back through like, you know, your political promises all of the people who supported you while trying to maintain balance and pass policy and balance favor of different special interest groups and trying to just not have war yeah. happen and terrible things and get impeached. Kind of a cool concept. I remember see yeah, I saw a trailer for it. Must be must be a while ago now actually. Probably probably nearly a year. And I remember seeing it. I'm like, oh, that's actually a really interesting concept. And I don't see it done terribly often, probably because like mechanically it's probably kind of difficult and complicated just with the kind of abstract flow chart you're, you you must have to be able to get that figured out. But also on on side of that, as a as an aside, there is a board game that also does something very similar. Black Hole Black Hole Council, I think. Yes, uh, Black Hole Council. That was a Kickstarter game. Uh, I don't know if it's out yet. Their their Kickstarter was maybe oh it did wow the the estimated deliver on the Kickstarter was August. Um, I'm not sure if it has actually come out yet, but essentially, Black Hole Council, you are a person on this kind of futuristic council that decides the fates of planets. And in kind of like a social, not social deduction, but a social game, you're kind of making arguments for different planets within the kind of galaxy that you and your friends run. And you're doing like political favors and playing cards and using currency and, you know, paying people and trading back and forth to kind of vie for your planet's position on the council while also trying to avoid having the council sentence your planet to be sent into a black hole. <laughs> no pressure. Because, because you just have that power. And so, yeah, I, I believe you, each person gains like their, a secret objective. And a secret, like, allegiance. So no one knows who's in favor of what planet or what kind of, like, group of planets. So you're trying to make decisions to best help that group to earn yourself points as the, at the end of the game while people are trying to figure out, well, who's he actually rooting for? And should we just put it into a black hole and trying to convince the other people on the council to do the same? It's It, it seemed really interesting. I, I listened to a, a podcast interview with the creator on uh, Gamer Leaf, I think was the podcast. And it sounded really neat. One thing that drew me to, me to it immediately is because it was a semi kind of like an idea I had for in a game. And I was like, ah, oh, someone already did it. But uh, seems neat, like for weird little political intrigue kind of thing. So sorry, I I know I totally hijacked your your story, but no, I just fine. wanted to plug that. Actually, kind of reminded me of like that whole thing with like 
Hitchhiker's Guide where the Vogon destroy Earth. Like, well, we put a poster up. <laughs> <laughs> no one came to the session, so yeah, we destroyed it. Did they ever make any more movies, or did they just do the the base Hitchhiker's Guide one? Uh, I was kind of hoping that like I know it's a, a book series. Um, I've never gotten around to reading them. Yeah, but I always I always meant to. Ton of good stuff out there. It's just finding time and it's not so much like oh i you know i have the time now to read it it's not so much that kind of time it's always like the, is it the right time in my life to read this kind of thing yeah i know like embarking on like a heavy reading thing or like a series especially mm-hmm. it's like oh man am i am i getting into this right now so anyway tim how was your week um well everything else aside pop culture my week was uh i guess kind of busy there's been a, a lot of cool stuff Especially like the Halloween season's busy for me because I every horror movie I have, um, and as I find more like more come out, it always ends up getting longer and longer every year. So I have to start Halloween in like July. I was gonna ask like when do you start to like curate down that list of all of the movies you have? Uh, I mean, usually like I I never stop watching them, so it's usually like I'm just watching stuff year round. And then I'll just pepper it in with other like non horror related stuff. But for the most part, like I start getting really big into my Halloween stuff in usually like August um, is when all of a sudden I'll start kind of watching like one a day at least, or uh, trying to do like four or five a week. Um, That's why I always like, I find it funny when people do like the 31 day movie challenge where they'll watch like a different one every day. And I'll have some days where I'll watch nine movies. Like I'll knock out your 31 day movie challenge four days in doctor. Oh man. So this past week I ended up watching a movie called slice um, that is now available for free for streaming on Amazon Prime. I've been excited about seeing the movie for a little while, only because I saw a trailer a while back, and I thought it seemed like quirky, like kind of a, a culty favorite. Um, the whole thing is a town that is was originally like overrun by ghosts, um, it, and then they ended up like moving all the ghosts to an adjacent town, and now they all live there. Um, but there's all kind of like weird supernatural happenings and there's killer going around uh, killing boys. So they end up thinking because of the wounds that it's a werewolf and it's all this kind of like wackiness going on. And then the whole thing is you're following one of the, the pizza girls trying to track down the killer and, and a, a former food delivery guy who's suspected of being a werewolf. My only issue with it is they never really follow through on much of anything. So it ends up being kind of bland. But like a lot of times throughout the movie, I end up finding myself kind of checking my wall um or hoping that something would end up happening wait so is it, is it a horror comedy because it, it yeah. sounds kind of goofy yeah like the mayor oh, is. Okay. is chris parnell um so ah, yeah, yeah the um and the food delivery guy that's the suspected werewolf that's chance the rapper for anybody that follows that um and the food delivery girl is zazie beats from atlanta um, if anybody watches the donald clever show on fx or fxx or whatever they're calling it these days um i mean like the i didn't even know i didn't know he had a show yeah it's uh it's pretty good but the the cast like the cast itself is fun and the i feel like if they ended up having kind of either tighter writing or just more for them to do it was really kind of going for more of we're coming out of the gate hoping to shoot for being a cult movie rather than just making a fun movie and then happening to make a cult movie Mm -hmm. so overall i mean it, it 
you have an hour and a half or something, or I think it was like an hour and 20, check out the trailer first because it's really going to be one of those movies that's going to be kind of polarizing. Overall, like I didn't feel like it was a waste of my time, but I, I wasn't a huge fan. Chance of the Rapper was pretty likable. Unfortunately, they didn't really give him enough to do when he was probably the best part of the movie. Oh, that's always sad. So Slice overall, like it's not a waste of time. If you like the character or if you like the, the actors and whatnot and you just want to see what they're doing, um, it's not bad to check out. Just overall, I felt kind of disappointed. Um, there's going to be a ton of familiar faces popping up here and there in it uh, that you might know from other things. The photographer for the, I think it's like a newspaper or something in it, um, is, uh, what's his name from Stranger Things? The the bat. Oh, um. Steve. 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 Steve, do you still have that bat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Best scene in season two. That was the main thing I ended up watching the movie, uh, is because when I saw the trailer, I'm like, oh, it seems kind of quirky. Like, oh, there's ghosts, there's zombies, there's a, like, a, a werewolf and whatnot, and then. I saw him in it, and I was like, oh, I, like, I really like him in Stranger Things, so I figure I'll give it a shot just to kind of see where he's at with his career. Um, but as I said, like all the characters and whatnot, all the actors did a pretty good job. It's just they weren't really working with a whole lot in terms of uh, mm. writing. Um, was he any good, or was he like, was he just Steve? Uh, c- kind of Stevie. Hmm. Vaguely Steve-esque. Steve-adjacent. Steve-adjacent. I love that. I love using that now. I use it all the time for everything. It's like, oh, how was it? Oh, it was just horror adjacent. But overall, um, yeah, you have Amazon Prime. Check out the trailer first. uh, See if it's something that might be up your alley because it doesn't seem to really be for everyone. Uh, But I Mm. finishing up that and then going directly into another movie that was on Shudder, if anybody has Verve, uh, only because I just kind of wanted something more on the horror side. Um, and following up Slice, I was a little disappointed, so I wanted to at least have something good. And I ended up seeing a bunch of comments out there for the next movie. It is called Terrified, to be confused with the one Terrifier I mentioned a couple weeks back with the clown that was not too great. Um, but as far as Terrified, it's, I guess, from Argentina, or it's, the whole movie's in Spanish, um, but the original title is Atorados. Um So I saw a bunch of comments online and everything about how it's supposed to be in the scariest thing in years and how the first 10 minutes had everybody hooked and whatnot and i watched it and it doesn't really meet that high praise as far as like the scariest thing in years but it's definitely like i enjoyed it um it reminded me a bit of at times of if you've ever seen into the mouth of madness the john Carpenter one only where it's that kind of surreal of nightmare logic on a lot of things or just kind of stuff that um of the really surreal disturbing imagery here and there um they don't shy away in terms of if they end up having something um which i don't want to give too much away but there's certainly parts where if they're going to show something kind of scary or grisly they don't end up kind of doing like a quick view of it they kind of hold on it for a while which at first is kind of jolting um but after a while some of it you start to see is kind of a little bad CGI on some parts that I wish would have been practical effects. Um, but other parts looks like they did end up doing practical effects that worked out really well. Uh, so more towards the end of the movie, everybody, if anybody watches it, uh, there's certainly a scene that once you see it, you know mm-hmm. it's the one that I'm going to be talking about. Uh, because that one really felt like a scene later in Into the Mouth of Madness. So anybody that saw both, watch uh terrified and then keep an eye out for that scene um so pretty much the i was gonna say that box cover looks horrifying like i just looked it up on imdb <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah. yeah all right that's yeah that's a scary 
clown covered in blood. Like, all right, that's, yep, okay. Yeah, so it's kind of like, wait, which one are you looking Oh, you're looking at Terrifier. Oh, am I not looking at the right one? No, that was the one he mentioned last time. That was subpar. Oh, it's Terrifi- Terrifier? Terrified from 2017. Terrif- oh, Terrified. My bad. I got yeah, Terrifier that we mentioned a, a couple weeks back. Like that one, the clown, like the makeup, the acting, all of that was good. Like I really enjoyed the kind of the... Um, kind of the look of the clown it's just the movie itself was not my cup of tea it's Mm -hmm. i felt like i wasted my time with it um but yeah terrified the the cover is like kind of a a bald ghoul with his head split down the middle and it's like a weird portal in between it um so kind of the yeah that that's not as terrifying yeah it's not, not as terrifying there um so as far as kind of the the plot to it is it jumps around so it starts off with kind of a couple in their house and there's something going on next door and then something this is like the first five minutes of the movie um there's something that occurs at that house and then while they're explaining kind of like to the the investigators and whatnot what had happened it jumps back during their story to the neighbor and everything that had happened to him in the previous week and then from what happened to the neighbor that ended up leading into what happened to the neighbor's kid across the street. And then it ends up leading into the investigators going to visit the family of the kid from across the street. So it's kind of all these different neighbors and all these different parties throughout the, the neighborhood all ending up kind of convening in terms of one thing ends up leading into the next thing and what caused this and all that kind of stuff. So at first it's kind of uh, throws me off a little bit only because you're expecting it to be, uh, kind of one of those movies that, oh, all of these different parties will tie in together at the end, and they kind of don't. Like, aside from what they end up tying into in the first, like, ten minutes, they don't kind of play into each other later on. Um, so there's kind of, like, all these supernatural things going on on the in the neighborhood. Uh, the housewife is hearing voices talking from the sink, saying they're going to kill her. There's, like, banging on the walls throughout the night, um, all those kinds of things. So it ends up being a doctor that studies the paranormal, one of uh, her colleagues, and uh, one of the uh, ex-police officer. They end up getting the the police chief or the one of the uh, investigators in town. They end up splitting up into the different houses because there was activity in all of them. And it pretty much just ends up following their investigation into all the kind of supernatural phenomenon going on uh, throughout the neighborhood. But it gets into kind of a really dark territory. Um, it goes beyond just kind of like ghosts and gets into kind of other stuff from there. So if you like the idea of kind of uh, if you don't mind reading subtitles, it's certainly worth watching. Uh, I've never seen anything else from the director. It's the same guy who wrote it, directed it, Damien Rugna or Runa. Um, but it's certainly worth your time, especially if you like kind of those paranormal type movies bordering more on the kind of um, the darker side more into like when we were talking about the void um, how the void ends up getting into not just like the not so much as ghosts type things but like other dark dimension type things Um, so it's more of that than kind of your traditional ghost story but if that's your cup of tea check it out so that's terrified not terrifier if you see a clown gone too far (laughs) <laughs> I was going to ask you now when you say that like sometimes the camera lingers so do you mean like so opposed to like the classic John Carpenter style where the, the camera o- almost seems like yeah like there's scared of seeing gore in a way if I had to, if I had to personify the camera there's gore in it um, so and some disturbing imagery but it's just one of those things where uh, if you can think of the the American version of the ring 
when they end up opening the closet and finding the girl in there and they do like that quick flash of the image and then it goes into the next one. Mm-hmm. This is more so that if they have an image like that, they don't flash away. It's going to end up like that's going to be a mainstay in the room now. So while they're talking and they're doing other stuff, that is sitting at the table between all of them. So you I see. Yeah. So like it's almost to the point where you it's no longer shocking at that point. It's more so like, well, this is our room now. Um, but I think it, it still did a good job with that. Uh, there's just a couple of things like the on the cover when they have that kind of bald creature thing from there. He ends up popping up throughout the movie, but he's the only one that seems kind of more CGI or um, just kind of a, it seems a little off. So it's not as impressive as some of the other stuff that they do. But it's it's worth your while, um, especially if you end up liking foreign horror movies. Um I don't get too, too big into the, the foreign horror. Uh, certainly, if there's anything that pops up that people recommend and things or anything that I might end up finding in my searches, I end up checking it out. Uh, but I think the last Spanish horror movie I watched was uh, Witch and Bitchin'. If anybody ever saw that pop up on... <laughs> if anybody saw that popping up on Netflix, it was on there for a while. Um, which I ended up actually liking a lot. It's... The Spanish title, I think, is Las Brujas de Zagura Murdi. Um, but it's like a gang of robbers. So it's a bunch of guys that end up robbing a jewelry store. They end up making a getaway um, into like a taxi cab and taking the taxi cab driver hostage. Um, and then the the main guy from the, the robbery, he has his son with him because he's divorced and he has him for the weekend. Uh, so he's bringing him with him on the heist. So they end up kind of driving off at, during their getaway and their car breaking down. They ending up at like a, a house out in the middle of the woods and the house is owned by witches. And it's a horror comedy. Um, so certainly if you kind of like a bit of a, a dark comedy, it's certainly dark. But it's also worthwhile if you've never seen that one. It's had a couple of laugh out loud moments. It's probably the, the most fun I've had with a horror movie um, back when I saw it. This is like maybe or something so that's also known to check out it's not on the the tangent it's not on the notes <laughs> don't worry I'll, I'll do my best to find it and add it but if it takes me more than five minutes i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna add it i try i do i do some i i do try and find them but i i give up at a point <laughs> i'll do my best but you said so that uh so that one is on verve you said well through um it's through Verve? Yes, so Terrified is on Verve. You can see it through Shudder. Um, I know they've been pushing it, so it might end up being on like the front page and whatnot. Uh, that ends up how I ended up finding it, and then I checked the comments, and people said good things, so I figured I'd mm-hmm. give it a shot. Um, and then Witch and Bitchin', that one that I mentioned, that one, I <laughs> I think you can rent it on Amazon Prime, but uh, they took it off of Netflix and whatnot, so I haven't been able to find it. It's one of the movies that I know eventually I'm just going to have to order the Blu-ray because I ended up enjoying it. Um, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. That's such a great name. I might just I, I might just watch Witching and Bitchin' or try to watch it just just because of the it's name. funny. That just sounds great. Yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. So as far as uh, moving away from Terrified and Slice, kind of the the movies um, on the gaming front, uh, moving into a rather non spooky thing, we've been able to get a little bit more time with Mario Party lately. Um, I know we mentioned it. Did we mention it a week back? It, it's I've been yes. so long since I've been on this. I don't even remember. <laughs> we did mention it, and you know, you, if you play, uh, does the new Mario Party have a a, a board with Boo? Yeah, uh, he's well, one of the just a character. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't have his own board anymore. That's well, uh, it changes every 
game. I mean, this is probably the scariest game we're going to talk about all week, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's always holding out hope that they end up adding on additional boards or I haven't, like, I, we've played a couple rounds here. Um, I know Sarah had come over and uh, we ended up playing a couple with Nick and Rachel and then we played a couple with Nick and whatnot to just unlock other boards. So it's certainly fun. Uh, I don't know how much you guys might have gotten into it in the past um, now that we've actually gotten some hands-on time with it. Um, but pretty much it's nice that they have character die now or character dice now. So rather than just having, say, your traditional one through six, each character has their own unique die. So like Bowser has minus two coins, minus two coins, zero, like eight, nine, ten or something like that. Um, in addition to the like the standard one. So now depending on what character you have, you can kind of use it as more like a, a strategy or Mario Party now has a meta um, on like tiered characters and whatnot. Um, so also depending on where you're trying to land on the board, if the star's four spaces away, you might not want to use the die that ends up having like a plus two coins, plus two coins, like zero, eight, nine, ten, only because you might end up overshooting it or not being able to loop around correctly to it. But if you have a die out there that's like one, one, two, two, three, three, then that might end up working better. Um, but sure. it's... One one thing, though, to um, further clarify, unlike the previous Mario Party games where you just went in a linear board like Mario, um, like Monopoly style, you play on a grid. So <clears throat> depending on how far away it is, oh. you basically have to roll even or odd numbers in order to hit it. So you, if you're right next to it, literally you need to roll a one or anything that's an odd number. Because if you roll two, you'll skip it entirely and you won't be able to land on the tile that you need. So it adds a little bit of luck on top of strategy. Well, I mean, Mario Party is 90% well, luck. Well, that's why it's the scariest game that we're going to talk about. It's true. That is scary. Like, there are situations... I'm trying to remember. I think... I, I, to clarify, I don't know what board it is, and I don't know which Mario Party game it's from. But I remember playing once, and there's literally a section of the board. It's I think it's the last 10 spaces, and it's... Almost every space is one of those one versus all mini games where you can exchange the number of coins or stars you have with another player. Oh yeah, the like the and, versus spaces. Yeah, and it's and it's basically just how many of these can you avoid slash are you in last place? In that case, you want to low you want to roll as many low numbers as you can so you can try and steal everyone's stars. And just getting to that point and being so very angry. So angry. <laughs> yeah, because I still remember like being not good at the game, but being good at stealing stars in the dumb minigames. Um, like the, the, towards the end, when all of a sudden they're like, it's the last two rounds, let's amp it up. You can steal stars if you do this. Uh, which I always Sit. thought was kind of meh. Yeah. Tim doesn't give himself enough credit because he's amazingly good at these games. And... <laughs> He makes it seem like he's an okay player. No. He has, like, reflexes that, like, I didn't know people have. Like, I know I'm pretty fast, but he makes my reaction speed look fucking slow. <laughs> the future is now, old man. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Tim, man. Tim still has all of his, like, Twitch reaction speed. Oh, God. Yeah, on my weekends, I go on Call of Duty and yell at 14-year-olds. Get quicker. <laughs> Tim's out there playing... The Fortnite and the um oh man it's killing me the Blizzard game 
Um, Overwatch. Overwatch. There we go. Out there playing Overwatch and just 360 no scoping bunny hopping noobs. <laughs> All my first my FPS again. lingo. Get good. Get good. Well, no, get good's Dark Souls. Let's. Dark it Souls is, is an old. Still said. Dark Souls is an old man's game. <laughs> you don't need to be quick in Dark Souls. The slower you are, the better. Just get good. That's true. You have to get the uh, patience. Man, the number of times playing like Demon Souls, I got punished because it was like, oh, you're going too fast. There was a hole that you didn't see. It's like, no, I died. I got to go slower. Go slow. I remember like starting into the Dark Souls series, and for the longest time it was, oh, I can do a shield and a spear, and I can pop my spear over my shield from a defensive position, and then everything just turned into like very slow bait games on every guy that came across it was the the slowest playthroughs i've ended up having in pretty much anything oh yeah um i even remember uh i recently did uh on dark souls yeah dark souls the the, the first one on new game plus plus doing a an archer build which ended up inadvertently just being the cheesiest thing ever um just <laughs> just because you pick up like the black bow of ferris which is a bow which in Dark Souls um, is the bow with the longest range in the game. Not the highest damage, like, like third highest damage, but the longest range. And you can just outrange bosses. Um, and they'll they'll just stand there and not really know what's going on as you're like hitting them with an arrow from 140 yards away. <laughs> um, of course, arrows don't do a ton of damage, so you know you go th- you fight a boss, you go through like 160 arrows, and it works out works out eventually. Uh, it was it was a fun change of pace from going like sword and shield, or the the times I occasionally go two handed sword. When I when I want to go a little crazy, yeah, I always wanted to do like the big big two handed sword type build or like do the the giant mace build. Um, but I always kind of ended up coming back to doing just like a, a shield and spear type combo. Yeah, I found like the two hander playstyle I didn't love because it ended up being like light armor heavy weapon because you just need to roll so much. Yeah, just because like you're all about the counter hit. Or it's like, oh, wait to see their wind up and then interrupt their wind up with your swing, and I just, I just didn't I didn't love that play style, so I always yeah like like I don't have the nerves for a, <laughs> a big two handed weapon, like I I don't have the faith in like if I swing that in the next second and a half it takes this thing's going to connect before they get me yeah I thought yeah I have this big two and a half second wind up and I'm like oh man I hope this works yeah. Like, I prefer that whole, I'm just going to keep my shield up. If you hit me, you hit me and I have a shield. But I can just keep poking you. It's going to take the next 45 <laughs> minutes, but I'm going to keep poking you. Hey, what's um, what's a shield? <laughs> yeah. All right, get out of here. I only played Dark Souls 3. <laughs> well, you know what? I like to play the good refined ones instead of just forcing myself to play old stuff. I don't care. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not taking the bait, David. I really I don't care. <laughs> well, see, the problem is I, I care too much. I really enjoyed playing through the Dark Souls 3 when we did the uh, back at our old apartment. We set up the two TVs side by side and we did co-op Dark Souls 3. And uh, Nick ended up doing, what was it, like dual scimitars or something? Well, I did the cell sword build, and I discovered just pump agility and <clears throat> have um, 
no type of patience whatsoever and treat it like a hack and slash and it kind of breaks the game yeah that's like if you watch my like i have a couple videos uploaded to youtube of me playing and just i don't i don't stop i make bosses stumble as i literally beat the crap out of them i think it's trying to like base things on yeah he they're gonna play it intelligently they're gonna think about their next move and this is just you come running and screaming for the next like 35 seconds of the boss fight out of stamina walk away come back in keep punching yeah i found that you know oh sorry no i just i don't even if i run out of stamina it doesn't matter i'm gonna keep going for it (laughs) yeah i found that made it really easy during our oh good no i was just gonna say i found i found that that's always been one fault of dark souls is that they all they expect you to play it a certain way and when you go outside of that the game starts to break like when i think of playing demon souls um the playing as any type of magic user just totally broke the game because the the way magic worked uh so magic in, in demon souls worked on a um oh, no, i'm trying to remember which was which because one of them worked on a charge system the other one worked on mana and i think demon souls worked on mana where you actually had mana potions and stuff but i think they eventually went back to that in dark souls 3 maybe but um, yeah, Dark Souls three used mana. Oh, okay. So maybe it was just DS two and the first one that didn't, and then Demon Souls had mana. Um, but so you could have mana potions with you, and they were just you know you could just go buy them, um, and you could outrange a boss's threat range with magic. So you could literally just sit right outside of their engagement range and just just magic missile them, pop a mana potion, magic missile them, and they would never actually engage you because you'd be too far away and they didn't know how to react. So you could you could literally <laughs> just coast through the game because the devs were just like, oh, we want people to like, yeah, sword and shield and like go slow and figure out the bosses that they didn't even, they didn't plan how this could work or, or the other ways people could play it. Um, so it just... The game just breaks down, unfortunately. The same thing with, is with uh, playing Dark Souls with an Archer build. A lot of that happens as well. Well, I know a lot of like the spells I ended up liking in Dark Souls 3 were too slow to be viable, but then playing co-op with Nick, how from just running in with both swords, he ended up kind of keeping so much of the attention on himself that I can just warm up my four-second, five-second cast spells and then just blast things for, like, half-health damage every time. So it just turned into this kind of like a... wasn't even a, a tank and DPS. It was just, like, two DPS nonstop, except mine was just massive burst. Yeah. Kind of broke it. Yeah, as much as I love Dark Souls, it's, it's, it's an easy system to break. Like, whether you're playing a non, like typical build or going into like co-op stuff it just they didn't they didn't plan for it oh that's i guess that's why i play like the typical build and i don't do co-op so it's like oh yeah for me it works perfectly but yeah because we ended up doing like co-op up until the point where it's like we've played it enough that just let's do something yeah so we ended up doing the the co-op do it but yeah so that's Mario Party. <laughs> uh, as far as the... It's been a while since I've done the, the mobile minute. Um, so if you want to put 60 seconds on the clock... 60 seconds uh, are I, added. <laughs> I ended up finding a, a game that was very similar to the one I had brought up uh, 
several episodes ago. I forget the name of it. The uh, in regards like the Little Red Riding Hood, where you have the different classes, and it's the kind of the deck builder game as you work your way through the, um, like the woods looking for either the witch, the werewolf, all those ones. Uh, they ended up making a new game that looks very similar to it. I think it might be the same makers called Wandering Night. Um, hmm. But they ended up just kind of expanding out some of the mechanics in terms of the the deck building. Um, now they ended up adding more kind of monsters and just more boards to work with. Um, so rather than now it's just like you come up to a a zone and it's here's your three different options. And then after you pick like five sets of options, it's here's a boss fight. Now it's you end up having kind of a, a huge board that kind of has branching paths. And as you go through, it's, well, maybe I'll go north, and then I'll get a treasure chest, and then as I go through, I'll end up meeting, like, a mini-boss, and then another mini-boss. Maybe I'll have some normal fights. So it's kind of a lot more variation to it. Um, It feels almost, rather than, like, a sequel, is just like a... The other one was almost like a pre-release, and now here's the full one. Um, So it's... If you end up liking deck builders, and you end up liking that kind of um, spooky aesthetic, especially for Halloween coming up, Wandering Night's pretty cool. Uh, I would definitely check it out. It is still free, um, but it's definitely worth uh, downloading. If I mean, if you're into mobile games, I guess. Mm. Uh, minute thirty seconds. That was pretty good, though. Well, I talked slow. <laughs> uh, no, that looks really cool. The only problem is, I, I went to do a quick Google search of it, and the first ten images that came up were Dark Souls. <laughs> huh yeah also evidently it's not the the same makers as the other one it's just suspiciously similar hmm. um but yeah it's it's definitely kind of cool the last actual game played this week i know a couple weeks ago i mentioned spider-man and i played 20 minutes of it and just did some web slinging around the city I've had some time to actually put some time behind Spider-Man now, unlocked some costumes, ended up doing some quests, got some farther in, uh, farther into the story. And I have to say, it's probably my favorite Spider-Man game so far. Um, the web-slinging is tight. It doesn't end up like hitting a skybox type deal. Um, the, the voice acting's fun. The storyline's pretty good so far. Um, I like that they're kind of pulling in a bunch of different Easter eggs and characters from different things and kind of setting things up. Uh, I don't, I'm only maybe like a third of the way into the game, but they're setting things up for, it almost seems like for the, um, kind of the spider verse. If anybody was familiar with that kind of bringing in other Spider-Men, um, I think only because you kind of ended up having like Miles Morales and whatnot. But as far as the, the gameplay to it, the only thing I can see kind of getting a little tiresome is there seems to be like five different types of missions you can do, and you just end up kind of doing those a lot. Granted, they kind of vary it in terms of is it going to be on a rooftop? Is it going to be like down on the ground? Are they breaking into a jewelry store? Are they breaking into like um, some sort of other thing? Uh, it's kind of like five different missions, but they're reskinned like two times or three times each. But for the most part, it's a little bit different so it doesn't get too too boring um but it's seems the same as when you played like the batman games um except you it's a little bit more fleshed out here yeah i mean that's the one the one negative i've heard about the spider-man game is that it does sometimes fall into that like that ubisoft assassin's creed 
kind of territory where sometimes it feels like you're just doing the same thing yeah, over and so, over again. Like you end up having backpacks you collect to um which rather than just being Easter eggs, like they end up being um, resources that you use to build upgrades or add gadgets. So, like, you can get electrified webs, and then you upgrade the electrified webs to do, like, uh, quicker cooldowns and whatnot. Or So you have a bunch of different things you can craft and build and get new costumes and then add powers to the costumes. Um, so by going through the city and searching out all these different collectibles, they're being used for something rather than just, like, here's a trophy to add to your account or something. Um and plus, I kind of liked how the backpacks, when you're collecting them, they'll be like an item, and then he'll kind of give a little backstory on it. Like, oh, this is the part of the horn from the first time I fought Rhino. Like, I ended up using part of the uh, the horn to develop a stronger suit, like fabric or something. Um, so it's kind of cool just seeing all those things or seeing him reference some items that we might have seen from... Um, Almost as if there were past games or kind of past backstory to it, because we're coming in when Peter Parker's been Spider-Man for a while. Uh, yeah, I th- that was one of my favorite things about the storyline is that this wasn't yet another retelling of his origin story. This was Peter Parker's been Spider-Man for a while. Yeah, so like when you, you end up running game. into Shocker and whatnot, he even talks about how like, oh, like I thought you were like reformed i thought you were kind of like in jail kind of doing your thing and whatnot so it's nice that they kind of have it's almost as if they're placing you in the middle of a story and then you're kind of catching up as you go through um so it kind of makes it seem more kind of like a, a lively story um and aesthetic to the whole spider-man universe for the game uh, and plus the i like just collecting the costumes as you level up you end up getting other costumes and whatnot um, but you need to have collectibles to be able to craft them. So the first thing I did is as soon as I ended up unlocking all the different... Um, you go through the map and you end up going and scrambling uh, signals to end up getting like the, the police scanners to be able to get the different sections of your map. Um, and then ends up revealing other collectibles. So then you have your backpacks, you end up having um, all these other kind of things. You end up having different locations and spots sightsee around New York City. Um, that you would then end up using your camera and you're supposed to go take photos of. So that's kind of cool, just being able to go around and be like the Empire State Building, Avengers Tower, um, like Central Park, take pictures of all of those. Um, so the first thing I did was just run around the whole map, did all my collectibles. So now for the rest of the game, for the most part, like I don't need to deal with these collectible things. They're off my map. And I have more than enough resources that if anything ends up needing any of them, I'm pretty wealthy when it comes to backpacks now come from that backpack money yeah so, so definitely if you liked like the batman series now that i've had some time behind it i still think spider-man's definitely worth a shot i know everybody's been talking about how much they love it um so if you have a ps4 check out spider-man if nothing else it will be cool just a web sling now as far as kind of the the last thing on my week i just wanted to mention here I know, Dave, I think you got into it a little bit too, is The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Yes. It is, I'm probably about five episodes in, and so far I really like it. My biggest worry going into it was I had heard a lot of things. People were talking about how it's not a horror show. It's a show about family drama um, and the like, psychological effects of growing up in a, a haunted house. Um, which kind of was meh to me. Um, I ended up giving it a shot because I saw that the director is Mike Flanagan, 
and he's done a lot of stuff that I liked. If you guys have ever seen either um, Oculus um, or if you've seen the second Ouija movie, uh, he ended up doing Gerald's Game on Netflix. So that's why also you'll see a lot of the actors in Haunting of Hill House, hmm. um, like Carla Eugenio or the, the father from Haunting of Hill House is... Um, one of the guys that ended up playing in like Ouija and played in Gerald's game. So he uses a lot of the same cast. Um, but I ended up going kind of on his merit alone and ended up really enjoying it so far. Um, he does like not to get too far into it. Cause I know I wanted you to kind of uh, be able to kind of put your thing in on it too. Um, the only complaint I've yeah. heard so far, at least from like watching it with Sarah and, um, watching it with uh, like my parents ended up seeing a couple episodes and they were talking about it too is Mike Flanagan likes to jump around in time a lot. Uh, he does it in Gerald's game. He does it in Oculus. He does it in Ouija. He'll have a lot of things where it's, well, now we're present day. Now we're in the past. Now we're two minutes before the present day. Now we're five hours into the future. So it's like constantly jumping around and keeping all these balls in the air and like, after watching a lot of his other stuff, I'm just used to having to kind of reposition that part of my brain to just follow along for the ride. Um, but I know a lot of people have complained about having to keep track of things that way. It uh, sets it up very well in terms of binging back to back episodes. Cause well, we jump forward here, we jump back here, we jump forward here. Well, yeah, I'm going to remember the conversation they had 10 years ago in this episode here only because I watched 10 episodes back to back to back to back. Um, but if I'm watching them week to week or something like that or watching them with breaks in between, it gets a little rougher to follow. I don't know what your experiences were with it, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have trouble following it. Um, actually, in comparison to uh, watching uh, Castle Rock, which would jump back and forth a little bit. Um, I found it easier just because there was a, a clearer transition, um, just because of the age difference with with the actors um, in Casa Rock. I, f- I found it harder because it it seemed very samey. They didn't try very hard to show that it was a different period of time in Castle Rock. Um, whereas this, I found it a little bit easier. I mean, I so I've I've watched the first two episodes. Um, at the end of the first episode, I was kind of meh on it. Um. But I wanted to to go another episode just yeah you know, just to make sure. Sometimes Joseph slow slow starts. Um, I I just find I found that I couldn't connect with the characters. Um, when it, you know after at the end of the first episode, you get that clear understanding that this isn't going to be a horror show. That's not really what it is. Like there's some jump ish scares uh in the first episode but you quickly learn that like oh okay well this isn't this isn't really how it's going to be it is more of a a character family piece almost like if you took the show parenthood and added horror to it um where it is it's, it's family drama this is centered us with around ghosts. a horror event um yeah this is us with ghosts um my issue is that while a show like this is us i thought does a very good job with characterization um, and actually building up and introducing their characters in an extended period of time. I felt that the haunting of Hill house didn't spend enough time on the characters at the start. And I found that I, I, I just lost interest in them very, very quickly. And 
you know, once because it's not a horror show, a horror show, when you lose the connection with the character, there just isn't that much for you. And and I just felt like there wasn't enough development, or the the characters for me weren't likable enough for. I think the, really the biggest problem is the way that they're setting I, um, things up. Like they planned it at with the intent of being treated more so like here's a ten hour long movie rather than here's a series of like mm-hmm. watch this episode and then like maybe next week watch another episode because each episode ends up following yeah. one of the kids. Um, so you end up learning more about their life and then they end up like backtracking and then uh, you learn more about like them when they were a kid in the house. Um, so as time goes on, you kind of end up liking the character or at least I ended up liking the characters more um, once you kind of end up learning more about them and each episode is kind of giving more time to them. Um, but if you're just watching like episode one and then um, a bit later watching like episode two or something and not banging them all out together like that. It's yeah, they don't, they do it with the intent of, yeah, we're going to build this all up together. We're not really going to lay a good foundation. Now we're just going to kind of, we're intending you to watch this whole series in one go. Oh, that's see, that's hard because I did. I I watched the first episode and I think three days later I watched the second one. And now that you say that you do have a point that the first two episodes, they did clearly spend more time with a specific character. Um, but when you're talking about a show that's 45 minute episodes, I, I'm, I'm not the, you know, I, I don't sit down and watch like a whole series and let, no, uh, I'll say unless it's like crazy good, but even then I, I, I don't usually. Um, so like for me, when I watched the first episode, which primarily stuck with the oldest brother, or oldest son, I guess I should say. Um, there, there was a character who was a sibling who got maybe 45 seconds of screen time, um, and was launched into this kind of mini drama that I, I just couldn't, I couldn't care about. Cause I had no idea where she, who she was. Cause they didn't show her as a kid in the house. And she was just introduced as someone who lives with them, who ended up, I, I just, there, there wasn't enough there for a character, and in the first episode when they're trying to starting to set up the initial drama, there wasn't there wasn't enough of the other characters there. So, I mean, if if their intention of creating the show was to, hey, this is just a what eight and a half hour movie, I mean, I, I like I get it, but I felt like they didn't do enough to to keep its its serial nature. Yeah, like I can definitely see that as far as being an issue because it was like it definitely benefits from watching more back to back because it really it needs to build on itself it doesn't really have that good start to it because as you said it starts off with the oldest brother um and then kind of like his story and then like the family stuff at that if you didn't know it was called the haunting of hill house you probably won't even really know that it's going to end up being more like on the spooky side um because it seems more like six feet under uh, after like the first two episodes. Then That's true. I de- more so about like, Espe- the, especially the episode two. I definitely got that vibe. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's going to be a lot of that going through, uh, which I kind of like, because I mean, I love six feet under. I mean, yeah, it's um, a great show, but yeah, for everybody saying that it's not a horror show, it 
and it's spooky adjacent. Uh, it gets <laughs> spookier as time goes on because it re- kind of reminds like the house itself kind of reminds me of. Um, did you ever see the Stephen King miniseries Rose Red? Uh, not the miniseries, no. Okay, because it's the um, where all the different investigators are end up going to the house that's supposedly haunted and um, all the goings on there where it was stuff that like kind of horror stuff happened in it, but it was never like downright um, like the conjuring or insidious or something like that uh, where you had like demons popping out of walls and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's a little bit more on that side. Um, so when you get into a little bit further, if you end up sticking it out, you'll end up being rewarded with a little bit more on the horror side. Yeah, I'm, I might, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, when my kind of TV time is limited, um, it, yeah, it starts, it starts to have to, to fight for attention. It starts to drop lower on my list. Like for example, like on the 26th, I'm very excited for the, a, um, the Sabrina show. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I'm very excited for Sabrina. And if Sabrina ends up being good, I'm I'm not going to go back to The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, hey, minor segue that's not related. Did you hear... Um, All right. Dis- Disenchantment got renewed. Did it really? Mm-hmm. I'm very excited Sick. about that. Yeah. Speaking of shows that take a while to get going. Which, that one I enjoyed. I ended up watching it, I think, like one night in my hotel. Um, so I'd, I'd be down for another season of that. Yeah, I mean, but as far as like, I, I definitely understand your gripes with Haunting the Hill House, especially if it's one of those things that don't worry, it'll really get rolling like two and a half hours into it. Well, that means you have to stick out two and a half hours of free time, um, to kind of get that payoff. Um, so unless you're enjoying the ride the whole time, it, it's kind of, not rewarding for the first three hours of your life yeah and and you know it's funny I, I liked your little your side quip comparison about like this is us but with horror um because i do i do like <laughs> this is us quite a lot and for i mean i think these shows have more in common than they don't that when you're taking two shows that are based on family drama um you know, the Haunting of Hill House used its first episode to to do a lot of setup for the theme, um, you, with, especially with like they 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 did a decent amount of time with them as kids in the house and doing like the you know the initial the initial spooks and showing you know getting that and and setting the theme of it. Um, while This Is Us, which doesn't really have a strong theme, it's just a family drama, uh, just did a lot of character setup. And I think, you know, maybe for me, The Haunting of Hill House was trying to do too much in its first episode, where they were trying to establish the theme, they were trying to establish what the show was going to be like, and they were trying to spend that whole first episode developing, you know, the the oldest son character. Um, And for me, it just kind of ended up washing a little bit. But, But then again, if they're planning it to be like, hey, just watch this as a long movie... Maybe that's not so much a problem, but that's, yeah, that's just my take. Yeah, like, I'm going to end up watching the rest of it and kind of report back, but I know there's probably going to be some breaks put on it uh, when Chilling Adventures of Sabrina comes yeah. out. Um, only because I was watching, 
um, Haunting the Hill House with Sarah, and I know that she's been jazzed for Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So come Friday, it's Sabrina time. Oh yeah, I'm 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 I really hope it's good. Um, I plan on trying it out probably on Sunday night, and then if it is good, it's probably just going to binge that on uh, Halloween. Very cool. So as far as my week, that was pretty much it. Um, aside from Haunting of Hill House, what else have you been doing this week, Dave? Um, so I actually had a semi-eventful week. Um, so the first first thing I want to go over, uh, go through games kind of first, um, is so the board game Descent by Fantasy Flight Games. And before anyone says anything about how I always trash Fantasy Flight Games and hate them so much because they're... Tons of tokens and the rule books are badly written and they use miniatures too much and all of that. Uh, Descent is a, um, a miniature based dungeon crawler board game. Um, now Descent is a pretty old game at this point. Um, they, they actually have gotten to the point where they have two full editions of the game. So there is an older Descent, uh, first edition that has maybe a dozen or so expansions and there is now the second run of Descent, which I want to say almost has two dozen expansions. Um, so this has been around for a while. I, I can think back maybe seven, eight years ago, seeing when uh, Descent First Edition came out and wanting it back then. And every so often I would glance at it and be like, oh, that looks cool. I'd love to get into that. Um, but never really committing to it. So over the weekend, I was at uh, Quarterstaff Games in Burlington. And... The, you know, this this might explain a bit of the backstory as why I've been angry at you guys for having Battlegrounds. Um, Quarterstaff selection has not been good lately. Um, they've kind of really bought heavily into the holiday season. So right now they're stocked with a bunch of Hasbro and Mattel games for, for people who are holiday shopping for young kids. So right now Quarterstaff's like, new game table is full of like Trouble and Monopoly and Connect 4. And it's really depressing. So I was in there and I was looking for a game and I couldn't find anything. Uh, and then I saw Descent sitting there and it's obviously been there for probably a while. Descent second edition came out in 2012 and I was looking at it and I was like, you know what? I don't have like a, like a bona fide dungeon crawler in my collection. Um, so I was like, you know what? Maybe, maybe I will consider it. Like I looked at it, you know, it's $80. And I kind of thought about it, and I read some reviews, even though I know the reviews. And then I went, I got lunch, and then I came back, and then I finally bought it. Uh, <laughs> and I and I brought it home after much hemming and hawing and trying to decide. Um, and I played my first game of Descent, and I really liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would, uh, especially since Descent is kind of like the the grandfather or father of Imperial Assault. Um, Imperial Assault is built on the same system that Descent uses. So there are there's a lot of similarities. One thing though that I I and this may be maybe me not being fully kind of aware of Imperial Assault since I've only kind of played like five or six uh, adventures or quests, whatever they call it, uh, using the co-op. Well, you did. Yeah, you used the co-op. Well, yeah. The co-op is nothing like the. Right, right. But it, I, I'm yeah. sp- I'm talking specifically about the co-op app. Um, 
But one major difference that I think is in favor of Descent with the co-op app um, is that when you launch the co-op app, it asks you, it kind of puts you through this little survey system and asks, hey, what expansions do you have for the game? Because depending on what expansions you have, it'll drastically change what the co-op campaign is. So, so like, whereas with Imperial Assault, Imperial Assault's co-op only uses the base game component. So you, ha- if you happen to own Hoth or the Job of the Hut, that doesn't really make a difference. When you, it does. Does it? No, they, it, yeah, it includes. Them. Oh, does it really? Yeah, just at the time when we purchased it, we only had that. I've, you, we haven't played it since I've expanded my collection. Oh, see, I don't, I didn't remember that at all. Well, like I said, we only had the base game when we first started. No, I, I just, like, when I booted up Descent, it, like, wouldn't let you start until you go through and select what you have. So I just, when I'm, when oh. we started it, I didn't remember seeing anything about it. So I was like, I didn't, I didn't remember that. Mm. Um, well, yeah. But, so I guess, so I guess Parasol does have that. But I, I just, launching the co-op and being like, oh, hey, what else do you have? And seeing that, like, oh, so they have this main campaign, but they also have a campaign for each expansion, and then all of the um, kind of the little upgrade packs, the, the like eighteen dollar upgrade packs that add a character, add another, um, I forget what they call them, but like almost like a plot card um, that adds that lieutenant to the game or to the quest, um, or adds a additional side quest to the game. Um, does a, a really, really good job of implementing the expansions into the full co-op, which uh, I wasn't, I guess based on my interpretation of how Star Wars Imperial Assault handled it, I didn't expect it to handle the expansions well. So to see that, I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool that, you know, if I plan on playing it co-op, that actually gives me a decent amount of, a, a decent amount of incentive uh, to actually have the expansions. Um, and I actually really liked it co-op. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I, I prefer full co-ops to, um, kind of one versus all style games. Generally, it depends. Um, and I found that the Descent app, you know, Fantasy Flight Games did really well with the Mansions of Madness app. Um, I don't really love Mansions of Madness because it seems a little too random, uh, but the what what fantasy flight did with the app was astounding um and i i think they've made leaps and bounds with using app control or using apps to control uh game ai uh and i think they they did a really good job with Descent. And i really enjoyed it i'm i'm excited to play it again um and i also don't think descent went too fantasy flight games token crazy as as sometimes they tend to like mansions of madness um, so I, I really liked it. You know, all the, the, the minions that you fight seem planned. Um, they're not super random, uh, like Mansions of Madness where I can't really in- anticipate things. It doesn't feel like I'm just getting stuff thrown at me for no reason. Uh, everything feels planned, which is, was my biggest problem with Man- Mansions of Madness. That it felt like, oh, here's a monster, or, oh, you're taking too long, here's a monster. Um, the, the, the first quest we played in Descent really felt like, like, oh, this was the plan for this dungeon. Like, okay, this makes sense. Let me ask you a question. Is this um, futuristic or is it like medieval? Medieval. Uh, super medieval. Ah. Like uh, Dungeons & Dragons style. 
uh, for whatever reason, when I think Descent, I think like I think it's because there was a video game that was Descent. It was in like spaceships and stuff. Ew. Yeah. No. Descent is. Um... So Descent actually takes place in Fantasy Flight. Fantasy, Fantasy Flight has their own kind of medieval universe uh, called oh, called Runebound, I think, mm. uh, where they have a, a they have a few games that take place in it. So they have a, a miniature war game that's in it, and then they have a kind of like zoomed out, almost like Heroes of Might and Magic style board game in that same world too. Um, so they, 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 it's, it's kind of like their own take on a Dungeons and Dragons style universe, um, which I haven't read too, okay. I haven't read too much into it, but a lot of people say it's good. So, uh, probably almost like, uh, like a Pathfinder kind of thing. Okay. Okay. But, um, I liked it. I'm excited. And, uh, my partner Michelle is actually really into it, which I wasn't sure because normally she appreciates more abstracted, uh, mechanics in games. Whereas Descent and Imperial Assault are much more kind of in your face, like I'm going to attack, roll the dice style combat. Mm. Um, so yeah, so Descent was good. I'm I'm excited to play a bunch more Descent. Um, and what's nice is that the co-op campaign and the one versus all campaign don't mix. So if at any point I'm like, hey, I want to do a one versus all, that's just a totally different game. So I'm excited. I'd definitely be down to check that out if you uh, bring it by. Yeah, I, I, I definitely could if you would be interested. I mean, it does play an awful lot like Imperial Assault. Uh, so it's kind of... Pretty much is Imperial Assault without the... It's true. The Imperials. I mean, technically, Imperial Assault is Descent without the, the dragons. Yes. That's true. That's true. Wait, without the dragons? I, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um... Yeah, so I, I mean, maybe in some ways I like it more just because I I like the whole Dungeons and Dragons fantasy aesthetic more than Star Wars at this point. I I don't know if I would have said said that ten years ago, um, but I think now I do. Um, so besides the scent, uh, I also played another game of Detective, a modern board game, Detective, a, mod, a modern investigator board game. I can never remember the subtitle on it. But Detective by Portal Games at Ignacy Trevicek. Um, and so I sat down with my partner, Michelle, and we actually went through and played the first case again. Um, it had been a while since we had tried it originally with uh, Nick and your friend Dave down in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And we thought we would try it again because we hadn't played the first case and there was a bunch of stuff starting to connect and we didn't want to miss out on anything. And... Man, did we miss a lot? We we missed did we? we missed so much. I felt dumb. Um, How did we miss it though? I, I'm not really sure, but we were getting to points where where like we investigated a lead and we found something out. And she looked at me and she was like, uh, "Oh, she asked me a question about something like what we should do." And I, I suggested something, and she was like, "Oh, was that what you guys last did last time?" And I was like, "Honestly." I didn't even know know about this last time. Like we do, <laughs> this information no, was not was, presented to us. I knew it. Like I really felt we thought way too heavy into certain things, and I knew we lot we got off track. Yeah, there was there was a bunch of historical context that was really important that we never even looked at. 
Oh, because that was the last thing we looked at. We had no time to further explore. I think it. that's I think that's what it was. Like there there was a rabbit hole of historical stuff going on. Um and the, I don't think this is spoilers really, but there there was very important information about finding out where one of the characters World War Two um unit was located. Mm. That once you found that out, you kind of went down a rabbit hole where you were able to be like making solid connections because, oh, this person was here at this point in time and this person was connected to this organization, which was in this place. And yeah, there, once you, you found the, essentially there was a link we were missing that we, yeah, that was super necessary. Um, so we ended up solving the case, um, which my partner says, uh, basically said that, um, now we're not saying Nick, that it's your fault, but when you look at the equation of what was different this game and you weren't there, maybe nothing. No. All right. Good. All right. Oh, we're. I think no, we're working through a technical difficulty. Oh, <laughs> that was weird because I didn't even touch a button and he just stopped talking. Yeah, all of a sudden, uh, Nick lost you. Oh, oh. No, I was I was basically given orders to make fun of you um, because we scored really well and solved the case. And uh, when I when I played with you guys, we did really bad and didn't solve anything. Well, well hey, you know what? No, because in my defense. <laughs> How many times did I say when we were playing it, guys, I think we're getting off track, guys. I think we're getting off track. And you're just like, no, 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 no. We got to go. We got to go down this rabbit hole. Like, are you sure this is the right rabbit hole to go down? And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. we, we could go and we could just throw Dave under the bus because those that, that diary kick he was on wasn't about anything. Well, then. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> no, because I, I called it. So I, I want no kind of blame in this one. <laughs> Say it. Did I not call it? Did I not? You you may you may have had some valid points. Asshole, you're only trying to save face because you don't want to admit you were just then going down that same rabbit hole. I mean, you know, <laughs> w- let's look at the things that were different. I mean, you and I, we both played this game last time and we did bad. Then I played this game with someone else and we did really well. So you had prior now? No, no, no! I'm not doing this. No. What's the next subject? <laughs> Let's see. We got. Um, um, uh, you didn't write this one. Yes, one. I did. Oh, you did. I did. Um, but yeah, so that was that was Detective. Um, it's still a fantastic game. Um, just be aware of who you're playing with. <laughs> Yeah, don't play with David because he goes down the wrong <laughs> He needed his significant other to pull him out. Um, so next up is uh, a show I very, very randomly picked up on called The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell. Um, now, I happened to stumble upon this of Please No Judgment uh, after watching an episode of The, uh, great, the Greatest British Baker. Uh, oh, Great British Bake Off? Oh, Great or? British Bake Off, thank you. Sorry. I was just about to double-check the title because I knew that was wrong. 
which, if you haven't seen The Great British Bake Off, is a fantastic, fun little baking competition show, uh, kind of in the style of American Chopped uh, from Food Network, except it's British, so everyone's really nice to each other, and there's no real drama. It's just watching people like make fun baked goods in a competition, and then they hug. It's very, it's very nice. It really restores your faith in humanity <laughs> on, on those days when you need it. Um, so I just finished watching an episode of the Great British, uh, the Great British Bake Off. There we go. And on the top of my recommended list was this weird show, uh, called The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell. And I was like, well, this is weird, but it's Halloween-y, so let me try it. So I watched the trailer, and the trailer made it look like if Martha Stewart somehow got mixed with Fraggle Rock. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm down for this. Let's, I mean, Fraggle Rock, if it was like their Halloween episode, I should say. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm down with this. So I watched the first episode and it's essentially that it is taking a, a, a Martha Stewart style person or character, I should say, um, who is basically a, um, like an expert food decorator and like cake sculptor and combining her with this very campy old school, like Jim Henson style world. Um, and I say Jim Henson and it's actually a semi Henson production. Um, now it's not like full on Disney or anything, but I believe the ex, the executive producer is Brian Henson. I think it's Brian. I might have to double check that. Yeah. What? Yeah, Brian. Brian's the um, owner of Henson Studios. Okay. Um, so all of so there's tons of Muppetry going on. There, there's three main Muppet characters who are awesome. You have the the taxidermied raccoon who's walking around spilling stuffing everywhere with this like fork that's bent in all different directions and is like just threatening people and making plans to murder people. And then you have the mummified, uh, bald, like, Persian cat, who what, used to be a god and was brought back to life by Christine via resurrection spell. And then you have this werewolf creature who gets invited to live in the house during the first episode. And they're all making murder plots with each other and trying to kill each other and eat people. Um, and they're all just kind of kept under control by Christine, who was just like, let's make, like, these unpleasantly realistic looking bone treats out of peanut butter and pretzel sticks. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm just rooting for her the whole way. And like, she's, she's like going in and like, like making the most realistic looking bones cookies. And it's, it's just awesome and campy and so much fun. I, I absolutely loved it, which it's, it's such a, I say dumb in a very loving way. It's such a dumb show. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just great and it makes me happy. So is it, does it actually like show you the real, like, this is how you make cookies? Um, she focuses more on the decoration and the sculpting. Yeah. So she's like, okay, so we're going to make these pretzel bone things. So you're going to take a pretzel stick and you're going to make this kind of clay out of peanut butter. And she kind of gives you an idea of how that is. And then she starts putting it together and, but it's mainly the decoration because, because of the style of like desserts and creations that she makes, they're more about the presentation. 
So she's yeah, just like, hey, we're going to do this thing. So you're going to make some simple 13 by 9 chocolate cakes. Cool. Hmm. Now this is how you, you do a sculpture with cakes. Um, so she for, she focuses much more on that end and doing sculpture a lot. So like, for example, um, she, she makes a cake that is the like haunted mansion that they live in. And she does this whole section on sculpting the eyes for the house. So she basically, she tells you, oh yeah, so we're making, you know, a modeling clay out of chocolate. So you can go and get like, you know, modeling chocolate and she starts working on it and she like takes out her sculpting tools, which are like legitimately legitimate clay sculpting tools. And she starts, you know, you're watching her sculpt the eyes out of the chocolate. Um, I don't know. It's not a show where you can follow her step by step because the things that she does are magnificent and the house alone probably takes between, you know, 20 and 60 hours of work. Oh, sure. But it's just fun. It's, it's just fun to watch. Like, it's really cool. Like seeing her put together this cake house, um, almost like, um, in, in terms of like those cooking shows where they do, like the like the the chocolate sculpting competitions that you'll see on Food Network sometimes, or um, not Cake Boss, but um, specifically shows about like cake decorating and sculpting. Um, but it's, yeah. it's it's basically that like you you get like this fun campy kind of comedy going on, and then you just get to watch her sculpt crazy cakes and like wacky things that might spark an idea for like Halloween things. Um, because like those bones, like while you probably can't do it as well as she did. Yeah, it's a good idea. Like, you could probably come up with something pretty neat. Um, I don't know many people who have airbrushes for food coloring, but, you know, you could do pretty well. Um, hmm. You know, it's funny. Actually, as I said that, I was like, oh, it kind of reminds me of the setup of, like, Mystery Science Theater 3000, where, like, you had the campy comedy in between sections of the movie. It's to justify them talking through a movie. Yeah, so it's it's kind of it has that similar formula, where it's like, oh, campy comedy. Let's do a, a baking thing, more comedy, baking thing, um, and it kind of like sets the stage and lightens the mood and just makes it fun. I don't know. It's it's a really really fun show, um, but you have, have to, to you have to, have to you have to like campy comedy. But where um, where was this? Uh, it's on Netflix right now. Well, speaking of, there's actually a show. It's not like that, but um, have you ever watched um, Zumbo's Just Desserts? I haven't. Same vein, but it's a contest style, and um, an Australian dessert artist is like renowned for how excellent he's able to make his creations. Because not only do they taste fantastic, they huh. look equally so, and the contestants are trialed by having to create their own kind of thing and then they have to face off like the winner of the round has to face off against someone else and they'll get like an edge or whatever to the competition and they have to recreate one of his professional desserts in a quarter of the time that he would have in order to make it and like one of them is like I think it was a, a golden duck that's um like taking a, a bath in a porcelain tub, but the entire thing is edible. So the golden duck is made out of like, you know, chocolate with like um, edible gold spray paint, 
you know, the porcelain thing um, tub is also edible. And the creations that he was able to do is, like, fantastic. And if you like that cooking show, you might like this one. It's very whimsical. And even though it's still contestant-based, like, you know, game show, it has none of that um, drama that a lot of the other ones tend to have. Yeah, I always... (sighs) I always dislike that, which is one of the reasons why I liked the great, uh, the greatest British Bake Off or Baker, mm. um, because it was it was a competition, but it wasn't like the crazy drama that was always associated with that. Um, yeah, sometimes it's not bad, and it'll add you know entertainment value to the show. Right. Other times it's just like I, dude, I just want to watch it cook. Yeah. Like Hell's Kitchen can get a bit ridiculous at yeah. times with the drama. Plus, I think sometimes Hell's Kitchen like specifically hires bad people just to make fun of them. Yeah. 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 But yeah, the curious creations of Christine McConnell. It's, uh, it's, it's super fun and I'm going to keep watching it, especially since it's all spooky with, with the monsters and stuff. So, uh, next up is, uh, so I've actually been reading comics um, I, I, I used to, what? yeah, I know, uh, for a long time I was reading comics, uh, picking them up at the local Burlington library, which has a decent comic, uh, collection. Um, and I was browsing and I saw that they had just gotten in the Judge Dredd Mega City Zero series. Uh, now anyone who doesn't know Judge Dredd, Judge Dredd is a very old comic. Um, how old? I don't know how old. Maybe Tim knows. We can ask him later. <coughs> Been a while. Excuse me. Um, and Judge Shred is essentially a police officer in a bizarre dystopian future where gangs essentially run things, um, because basically everything takes place in these giant, crazy, overpopulated, huge skyscraper cities. Um, and Judge Dredd is a police officer, except that in this bizarre future, uh, police officers have the right to arrest sentence and carry judgment all at the same time so when judge dread arrests someone he arrests them tells them their crime and sentences them to whatever it would be so like for example it could be like oh you were you vandalized this thing that's five years prison so he just handcuffs you and immediately puts you on this thing to go to jail like like that is it that is how it works um on the other side of the coin if you killed someone and he saw it he just runs up to you and says, like, you killed someone, that's death, and just shoots you in the face. Like, because that is the right of police officers in the Judge Dredd universe. Um, what Mega City Zero does is, um, so basically, uh, Judge Dredd's normal comic book series takes place in Mega City 1. In Mega City Zero, this is now a post-post-dystopian future where Mega City 1 has essentially been destroyed via this wacky um, kind of biomechanical, like, digitized drug that essentially was this green mist that would get into people's minds and create almost, like, this this single consciousness where everyone existed in this, like, alternate reality by force, Um, And in this alternate reality, like, no one technically died because your consciousness would get saved to what they called the green, which was, like, this vast rolling hillside. Um, So if you died, you could just come back because this isn't a reality. It's, like, a weird augmented reality thing taking place in a shared consciousness. 
The only problem was is that while this whole shared consciousness is going on, Mega City One is burning to the ground, and hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of years have passed, um, and all everything that used to exist no longer existed. And in Mega City Zero, basically Judge Dredd goes on this campaign to break this this shared conscious link and bring everyone back into the real world because I am the law, and you know he needs to do his whole his little his whole law thing. Um. <laughs> So yeah, so this is Judge Dredd in a a post-post-dystopian future where he's now trying to remake the law in a world that no longer respects the law. But he's like, he's still like trying to judge it up. So like, he's a judge and he's like out in the wet, the, like the, the new Wild West against like cults who don't respect judges or the law. And he's going out there with like his makeshift, like new age judge recruits. Like, trying to get things going, and, like, now there's, like, robot societies trying to spring up, where, like, robots have given themselves, like, organic bodies made of 100% human DNA, so how, what right do you have to tell us we're not human, we're more human than you are, like, all these really wacky storylines, and Judge Dredd is just like, I'm the law, and it's, it's awesome, it's great, it's, it's, it's dark, it's gritty, it's very violent at times, yeah, oh, it's dread. It's dread. It's amazing. It is so good, um, and it's it's uh, Mega City Zero. I think has been out for a few years, so it's been divided up now into. Um, I'm not even sure what to call it, but uh, each book is essentially seven or eight uh, of the original comic books. Um, oh yeah, like the trade paperback volume. Yeah, so so when I get one of them, it's it's probably like an eighty to ninety page book. Um, so it actually, it, it actually takes a little bit, you know, I'll, I'll probably read one in like two or three sessions. Um, and it's great. It's, it's just so gritty. Uh, and you know, this like way out there dystopian future where it's like people are, are advanced, but like they don't even know where the technology came from because it's been like, it's been so long and things were already so messed up. Um, yeah, it's great. Judge Dredd, Mega City Zero. It's it's a really good read, um, and it's making me want to go back and read more Judge Dredd stuff. Which I wanted to ask you, Tim, what the name of that app was again, so maybe I can follow up on Judge Dredd more. Comicsology. Comicsology, because I want I want to go back and read a bunch of Judge Dredd. There's also I didn't write this in the show notes, but a comic series that I very lightly touched on. I read one. Uh, trade issue, I think that's the term, uh, of a, a comic book called Pestilence, which is a, um, uh, a, basically a medieval times zombie apocalypse. And I love everything about that. <laughs> that one I have not seen. I'm pulling it up now. It seems kind of interesting. Yeah, so it's, uh, so it's the, the late 14th century, and they basically t- uh, take a new take on the Black Death, where instead of just killing people, it's the Black Death is turning into zombies, but using the same rate of growth as it did historically. So if you take the Black Death in Europe, which, you know, probably killed killed out almost the entire known world at that point in time, let's say 100 million people. But instead of just being the Black Death and cholera deaths, it's instead turning them into zombies. So now you have these small groups of knights 
who are going out and trying to purge zombies. Uh, uh and it's uh, I, I read the first one and it's really good. Um, and apparently I'm looking at it at Comicsology right now, and it apparently it's a very new series. Uh, pretty well rated on Comicsology too. So I am really curious to follow up on this, and I might actually be getting Comicsology to follow up on Pestilence because I I I love like really dark medieval storylines. Yeah. Plus, the nice thing is if you do end up signing up for the unlimited. Like, you'll get a discount in buying them. Or, like, they'll always have sales. Like, right now they're doing their Halloween sale. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a bunch of other stuff going to the Unlimited, which is the um, the subscription service. Or you get, like, 50% off. So if you wanted to get into, like, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and Afterlife with Archie or, mm-hmm. like, any of those ones, right now they're free to just read. Um, so you can check them out, too. Oh, and also, cool. I was pulling up Judge Dredd, and they have um, the... Because, I mean, they've had, like, a a ton of different like starts and stops through the series. Yeah. Um, while you were talking about it. Yeah. I forgot that uh, the one I was trying to remember, he's, he spun out of the, the comic 2000 AD. Um, that was like a anthology one. It was like a collection of stories, but he's been around since 77. Oh man. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Is... I mean, I feel like I've seen him around in like a lot of comics over yeah. the years. I've, I've never actually sat down and like read one of his story arcs. But, like, I can remember seeing, like, very old-fashioned comic book art for him. Yeah, because evidently on Comixology, they um, they have the series that started up in 2013 for Judge Dredd. That was just titled Judge Dredd. Mm. Um, but they have the first five volumes you can download. Um, so it's, like, 20 issues or so. Um, so, I mean, it's, if nothing else, if you end up paying for, like, a month of it, those five volumes alone should probably end up getting you a like a week's worth. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I the unfortunately the only problem with the public library and comic books is that they don't get them with the same frequency that I would like. Um, and sometimes they don't yeah. get the entire series, which has been unfortunate. Um, uh, the, a couple of the series that I did follow, like I uh, reading through, um, what was it American Vampire? They did have the full series of, which was really nice. Um, also Sandman, they had the full series, um, a few others, I think Fable as well, or Fables. Um, but I don't know if they're going to be getting ready, the rest of Dread. I can ask them and they might pick them up, but comic books, uh, I feel like that's kind of a weird gray area for them. Um, so I think, I think I might pick a uh, comicsology for Judge Dread and definitely for Pestilence, uh, which is a very kind of dark gore, uh, Knights versus zombies, which is interesting to me because how do zombies bite through plate mail? Right? I mean, what? I guess you just get crushed to death, which is probably worse. Because if if you're in like if you're in full plate with chain, like zombies not getting you. Well, well, plate you're fine, but when it comes to like chain, I mean that's chain's meant to protect against slashing, not piercing. D and D. Yeah, but but when you got but when it's a zombie and all you've got are your fingernails and teeth. Like you can't bite through chainmail. No, but they can get between the the, uh, the crevices. Uh, I don't know. I think it'll be tough. Well, I- also, it, I think it determines like, is, are we talking about like supernatural zombie? Like, is this a magic thing? Is this like a that's a good a point disease and, thing? And that's a, a yet to to be determined. I think. 
Because yeah. I feel like if it's a magic zombie, then it's it could be anything. That's like, true. Oh, he's tearing down the wall. Right. Ugh. Oh, man, that was always one thing that got me with Walking Dead. Like, when you rationalize it, it, it was funny because I was watching The Walking Dead and I was like, man, why is it so easy for them to just stick a knife through their skull? Like, that, that's not a... Like, your skull is really thick. Like, you can't just jab a knife in the side of someone's head. Like, it doesn't work that way. But when you're like, oh, but it's decomposing flesh. So, like, yeah, their bones are brittle. That makes a lot of sense. But then it's like, well, yeah, but if that makes sense, how come they're strong? Like, they were able to just open up the side of a horse in the first episode. Like, that that doesn't make sense. I don't know. Yeah, it's... I have other complaints about the walk. Yeah. The show's about just, like, human drama with zombies thrown in. Like, it's This Is Us with zombies. See? This This Is Us is a cornerstone of drama now. It's also probably that, the, one of the best I've seen in a while. I mean, I, I've... The only part of it I've ever seen is I was on a flight and they're like, and now here's a preview of next week's This Is Us. And it was like the scene with the fire. And I'm like, I feel like this is a really bad point to come into it as far as like a preview to the series. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're coming in on the probably most important part of a character's arc. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> it's like, here's our preview of Dallas. And they just cut to who shot Jr. <laughs> Uh, I mean, essentially. Any any listeners out there that are Dallas fans or... uh... Spoilers. (laughs) Thanks. I was just almost done with it, too. Or should I see uh, if they cut directly to who shot Mr. Burns in Simpsons? Mm, It's true. Man, that was a letdown. Although I feel like I tried to make it a more relatable reference by turning it into The Simpsons, and still it was probably too old for some people. Because I think that episode was going on like 20 years ago now. Um, I th- I'm trying to think of what... Because I remember seeing it when, it when it aired. And like being like one of the people who was waiting for it. Um, it 1995. was 1995. Yeah. Oh boy. So 20, 22 years ago? 20, 23 years ago? Man. That's a long time ago for a very important episode that doesn't actually matter to the continuity of the show. It's not. Mm. I'm surprised it's still on the air. I think at this point, I'm. The problem is, I think if they if they ever like even thought of canceling The Simpsons, I think people would be so mad at the network that it wouldn't even be worth canceling it for the airtime spot. Well, you know, Matt Groening is probably like. <laughs> he doesn't want to do this anymore. Well, I mean, that's pro- that's fine. He's like Prometheus, just chained to the to the rock. Well, I mean, I think that's why he's trying to find other outlets, like Disenchanted, where he can actually be like, "Oh man, I really want to make something else." <laughs> Poor guy. Hmm. Um. So yeah. So besides that, the only other thing I've been up to. Um. So for anyone who doesn't know, because we've never mentioned this before, um. The the Screaming Brain, the kind of subsidiary cr- creator, I don't even know what to call it, the, the, the company that has the Scream Lords that helps host us and do all of our, our stuff that we're connected to. Um, what am I talking about? So the, the Screaming Brain uh, is a game publisher. 
Um, and their first game, The Exorcism of the House of Moncton Falls, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, is a, a horror-themed game uh, that takes place in the, the town of Moncton, Vermont, where you play as a group of exorcists trying to rid a basically old manor house uh, of the ghosts that's haunting it. Uh, now, The Exorcism House of Moncton Falls was a Kickstarter game back in April that did successfully fund uh, and is our first game that is coming out. Um, is actually uh, on the presses right now. It, I think it's expected to finish and get off the presses on November 15th. Uh, at that point, it'll start getting ready to ship. But for anyone who wasn't a Kickstarter backer of the game, and for anyone who was a Kickstarter backer of the game, uh, unfortunately, it won't be out in time for Halloween. But what will be out is um, next week, uh, I want to say next Monday, uh, we will have a fully updated print-and-play and digital versions of The Exorcism at the House of Moncton Falls. Uh, so print-and-play will be, you'll be able to go to our website and print out all of our card card files, rule books, and tokens that you'll be able to print out and use at home. Or if you have Tabletop Simulator, you'll be able to go on there and play it with the final version of the rule set. Um, I know there were some earlier versions of that that were kind of late playtest versions, uh, but now you'll be able to play it with the final versions of all the components and, of course, all the final rules, including the variant rules that were suggested by our Kickstarter backers, the solo play and the one versus all play, where now uh, the Exorcism of the House of Monkey Falls can be played as a five-player game, where one player takes on the role of the ghosts and the other players are trying to exercise them. Not to be confused to, with making them exercise. Um... Right, I, was hoping, I was hoping for a little laugh, like a little just something. Um, just, uh, just patch in the one that I had from like episode three <laughs> that time. Just insert that gif of the Joker clapping in the jail cell. Mm. You know which one. Um. So yeah. So if if you like horror games or games that are theme that have that theme of horror, The Exorcism House Among Falls is uh, a light kind of worker movement game, action selection kind of game. Uh, that, that features some kind of cartoonish horror art, which you can go find at www.thescreamingbrain.com. Or if you go to Kickstarter and type in The Exorcism at the House of Moncton Falls, you can go check that out. Uh, but that is going to end my week. So, normally in the podcast, we would be going on to the news. But since this is our spooky uh, Halloween edition part one with... Scary duding skeletons with their, their old trumpets. Um, we're actually going to talk, talk some spooky horror stuff. Specifically, some of our favorite spooky horror stuff to do around this time of the year. So I thought we'd kind of go round table on this and talk about kind of our favorite books or stories, our favorite games, and then our favorite movies that happen to feature a horror theme. Uh, so Nick, when we're getting into the horror time of year, what, what stories do you like to read? I've been getting into Lovecraft, and Lovecraft is um, not really spooky per se to me anyway, but some of them are just so unsettling that it really affects me a lot more than the atypical stuff of, like, the slasher or, um, like, monster-type things. Like, it doesn't phase me anymore to that point where, like, I'm not afraid of horror movies per se, but just it's more of the unsettling and supernatural and just, like, the... I don't want to say gross out, but just some of the stuff Lovecraft's written about is just so extreme. Like one guy, he was able to create his own immortality serum, but it 
really destroyed him over time to the point where like if he didn't take the serum it would like really mess with him to the point where he could die and i guess he didn't take it long enough or quick enough over a p- amount of time and like he was starting to overheat so he had to keep the temperature low and over the course of um his body deteriorating just like his neighbors would hear and smell the things that was going on in his room. And by the time it was too late, they were able to go into the apartment after he died. And it's just like the things that he described was just horrifying. Like, Oh my God. Actually the, uh, the story that you mentioned there, um, I thought it sounded familiar. It's, they end up covering that one in the anthology Necronomicon, the movie, um, from 1993. Really? Wow. I don't know if you know, David Warner, um, Nick, you'd end up knowing him as the doctor in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too. Yeah, yeah. So David, the <laughs> hey, that those are references I get. Like, oh, oh, this guy, he was in like six movies you've never heard of, but uh, he was in the, he was the doctor in Turtles too. Yeah, it was yes. gonna be like he was the bad guy in Waxwork, and then I'm like, he was the doctor who made the ice cube things that made the monsters turn. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he ends up playing that scientist role in uh, the movie version of that. So if you're ever looking to see, like, the movie version of that story. I don't know if I want. <laughs> <laughs> like, the book set such a high bar. Like, man, that was... Yeah, that was... that That's was... the hard part with, like, reading the Necronomicon through Audible. Because it doesn't tell you... It just tells you the chapter... Um, then like the name of the book, but it doesn't tell you it when you look at it through the app. So you're just reading chapter like 36, but you're technically on like, you know, the, the like the chapter of Arnold Palmer, Southern Style, Half and Half, Sweet Tea, Pink Lemonade, and then it'll be like chapter one of that. But when you look at the actual breakdown of the list, it's chapter 36, and it it doesn't really make sense. So me trying to go back and figure out what I read is a little tougher because I'm not mm. sure which one it is. I have to like print out the list and then compare and just get snippets of like, okay, it was this book that I read this one. Cause there's like four or five short stories that had me on the edge of my seat and I loved it, but I couldn't tell you the name of any of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that, that's things about the audiobook. I mean, one of the things I love about Lovecraft is that it's all short stories. So it's so easy to like go through and like just read a few. Like I have to say, like one of my favorites is probably, I have no idea what the name is, but you probably get it from, uh, the rats in the walls. I think that's the name of the story. Is it the name of the story? I'm not sure. Just... But yeah, like the guy who inherits like the old, like castle manor kind of place, uh, in England. And, like, every night he goes to bed hearing rats, like, thousands and thousands of rats scuttling through the walls of the, the home. And, like, trying to find them and, like, leading him down into, like, this this old, like, stone basement. And then he opens the... Oh, it's... it's Yeah, he ends up eating someone. It's great. So good. It's so creepy. And it's just, like, you just take a regular person and then you he just keeps, like, twisting them and twisting them and twisting them. And it's like, oh... So good. Yeah, Lovecraft set the standard for a lot of horror, I think. Mm. At least back in his time. Because, I mean, before that, you know, you have Mary Shelley, you have, um, you know, Bram Stoker, and then a couple, uh, 
this is the biggest two that I can think of off the top of my head. But like everyone knows those names. But in terms of horror, I mean, like Frankenstein, I didn't think was like scary. I mean, the movie I think bastardized the true version of him because he's not exactly the way he's portrayed in the movies as he is in the book. And, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula is actually like a bunch of letters exchanged back and forth. And mm-hmm. just the movie's really twisted on how it was truly written. And I can't think of any classic stuff. And even like Poe, he didn't write horror per se. It was just a lot of unsettling and creepy stuff. Yeah, that's mine. Tim, what do you got? Uh, as far as spooky books... <laughs> Um, I, I mean, maybe not so much as Lovecraft, uh, but I don't know if anybody knows of scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, you know, the one with the, the one you probably saw at the Scholastic Book Fair oh, as a kid, like the black cover. You said the title and I was like, is that what I think it is? With the skeleton yeah, face? Like it has the, yeah, the skeleton with like the clown nose and, yeah. whatnot, and all the, the drawings in it were, um, disturbing. Um, I always liked it just because I was a fan of all the kind of short stories as a kid, and I felt like the illustrations kind of carried over into the adult side. Um, but there were, it's, I think you can still find it now, but I know a while back they ended up going back and redoing all the illustrations because people complained that they were too disturbing originally, um, and that they looked too kind of morose. Um, so you can still find it if you can find the original version. I have it kicking around somewhere. Um, you can see the original ones, but it's a bunch of stories like um, the ones as far as uh, I forgot the which one it was, where there somebody's staying at like a haunted house, and then there's like a cat that shows up, and it, each one is telling him like wait until the last one shows up, um, or like the the old story of they go to the elevator and it's room for one more, and then they find out the elevator ends up like plummeting to the floor and kind of all those like quick kind of creepy stories um the kind of ones that you'd be able to like tell around a campfire as a kid or you just kind of put in your back pocket to be like oh does anybody want a spooky story oh, um, man. i for- i forgot about those i originally bought it as the audio cassette oh it was so good i will <laughs> i will always remember the story of like the girl who wore the um the scarf and refused to ever take it off throughout like growing up and then like getting a boyfriend and then they get married and she refuses to take it off and never takes it off, never takes it off until she's finally like an old lady. And he like, you know, sitting in the backyard and she says, Oh, f- you know, finally you t- can you take my scarf off? And like he does, he takes the scarf, off, the scarf off and her head falls off. Like it's the only thing keeping her head on all these years. It's just, I'm telling it badly, but that, that story always stuck with me. I don't know why. Well, that one actually was in a different book. Was it? Um, that I remember because it was another one from around that time called In a Dark, Dark Room. Because um, that one was called The Green Ribbon. And then it had like other ones in it. Because I just remember that because I remember um, the illustration for it. Um, actually, they they might have ended up having in Scary Stories. But I remember that one from In a Dark, Dark Room. Hmm. Um which I was going to say, it's from my childhood. And then I checked, and it's like published 1984. Yeah. So evidently it's from somebody else's childhood, and I just ended up picking up a used copy uh, well, I think, 10 uh, years later. I think Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was 1981 as well. 
So, yeah, I'm actually surprised at how early these <laughs> ones were. So predate us a little bit. Or the fact that they were still selling them at, like, book fairs 13 years later, 10 years later. Well, I mean, if you think about it, like, most of the Scholastic books are way, way older. Yeah. Um, oh, and so so I just did a double check. So it was in Scary Stories You Tell in the Dark, but it was the Red Ribbon. Uh, okay, yeah, the one I remember is the Green Ribbon, which, for all intents and purposes, is the same story. Yeah, it really is. Which I think they ended up covering in the actual anthology movie, if you've ever seen Campfire Tales. Uh, I think that story pops up in there, too. I don't. I mean, a lot of these like end up popping up in like the anthology horror movies. Um so if you're ever looking for a lot of them, an actual version, um, aside from the book, you can just you can just type furiously like Dave. Yes, you can. Um, being, and I was typing <laughs> furiously for any of our curious listeners. Uh, if you're looking for scary stories to tell in the dark, you can find the old audio cassettes. Yes, that's cassettes. Um, have been recorded and put on YouTube. Uh, so that's Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark 1, 2, and 3. Uh, you can actually listen to them as a complete series, which is 3 hours and 18 minutes of scary stories um, narrated on YouTube, which I may do that uh, on the bus ride tomorrow morning and tomorrow night. I like that they you're able to find a lot of these now that way. Because um, what I ended up doing is like growing up, I ended up having a lot of the the Goosebumps audiobooks mm. on cassette. Um, like uh, what was it, the A Shocker on Shock Street and uh, Revenge of the Lawn Gnomes. And then like more recently, I always wanted to go back and re-listen to them. And I just checked YouTube, and somebody just ended up putting up like every single one of them. Um, so now, rather than trying to find a way to play a cassette tape from a hotel room somewhere, I can just listen to it. So yes. YouTube some, wonders. Some people have done that too with old uh, board games that used to be run by cassette uh, VHS tapes. Is that they've gone and digitized the VHS tapes and put them on YouTube so you can still play those games. Like, um, uh, is it Nightmare? I think it's Nightmare, the board game. Um, used to be run by a cassette tape with the you, you had your your master or whatever, and you, at various times during the tape, you'd be like, stop. And then he'd tell you he has to do something. <laughs> um, but they've, someone has gone and done that. So you can still play Nightmare. If, I mean, if you can't buy it anymore, but if you have a copy or you get one at like a thrift shop or something, which you should totally pick it up if you th- see it at a thrift shop, uh, you can still play it by watching the VHS tape on YouTube. So that's always fun. Yeah. Or I know like a lot of the, the old-timey, for any of our old, old listeners, uh, any old-timey radio shows um, like Suspense, Escape, ones like that, um, they ended up putting them on YouTube, too, because that's another thing I grew up like. We ended up getting all the, the cassette tapes for them, um, and I got really big into all like the, the more horror-oriented radio shows from back in the day. Um, so, for the most part, a lot of those are on YouTube, too. Um, so, if anybody's looking for spooky stuff out there leading up to Halloween... Um, you can find a lot of them on there. The like the rats at the wall you mentioned um, reminded me of one with Vincent Price they had called Three Skeleton Key. Um, it was based on a story, uh, a French story from 1937, but pretty much it is about three guys in a lighthouse who kind of keep tend to the lighthouse and um, 
take care of everything. And then there's like a banana boat that rolls in one night. Um, and they end up seeing something like on the banana boat. And then it kind of like comes off of the boat. And they realize that the entire boat was like filled to the brim with rats. And now the only thing on the kind of the rocks there is the lighthouse. So all of the rats are slowly trying to make their way into the lighthouse. Um, so it's kind of all of them slowly going insane, trying to keep them out um, and kind of fighting with each other. So if you end up finding it on YouTube or something or checking it out, and if you like Vincent Price and you like rats, um, another thing for... I mean, I don't know how many people out there are going to listen to old-time radio, um, but I have a bunch of them in my back pocket. Hey, man, old-time radio shows are coming back, like... With, especially with podcasts now, like I, I listen to a podcast called um, Proof Something Adventure Something. It's got adventure in the title. Um, the some, oh, something Adventure Hour, actually. Oh crap! Um, but it is essentially a modernized, old timey radio show uh, where they do basically serials of various. Uh, various storylines so they'll have like a a what they they had one that's called the marshall on mars they had one that was like these drunk paranormal investigators that was like a comedy um they they had they had a couple different ones and it's it's in that old timey radio show style so there's there's definitely a market for it and people like it i mean i loved it i thought it was great and they had really talented voice actors doing it um, and I mean, voice actors and just actors doing it. I guess maybe that's offensive. I should just say actors in general. Voice actors still do quite a bit of acting. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think there's room, and if you can you can find those old timey stuff, it's probably on YouTube. I know, actually, um, I think one of like those podcasts they ended up doing a modern version of one of the ones that I really liked from back then, uh, House in Cypress Canyon, from I think it was Suspense. Um, back in the day but it's about like a um a husband and wife that move into a new house up in cypress canyon or down in cypress canyon wherever it is um and they end up finding like a door in the house that doesn't open and she keeps waking up at night and sees like blood coming from the door and like they hear screaming and then um eventually like the doors open and the wife goes in and she ends up saying she got bit by something in there and then she's slowly turning into some sort of kind of creature. Um, but, like, for the time, it even now, like, thinking back to it and listening to it, like, it's kind of a, a spooky story. Um, but it's just go, goes to show that, I mean, a good story is a good story. It holds up. Um, and some of them, I was surprised at some of them, are how weird they were even back then. Um, like, if you have end up Googling or looking up one from a... There's a radio show called Quiet, Please... Um, and there was one called the thing on the Forble board where it's about like these, I think they're like oil drillers or something. And it's the guy telling the story of what happened to them down in the, like the oil well or whatever. And there was like a creature going through down there. Um, and as they're describing it, it's like, Oh, it's like a, some sort of spider with a human face and all these types of things. And, um, the guy's telling the story to like the the other man that came to his house to like investigate everything, and he's talking about how like my wife's in the other room, she's getting things ready, and then you find out at the end like the guy's gone crazy, and his wife is the creature he's brought home and he's keeping in the house with him. Um, so it's like 
I don't think there was ever sort of like weird isn't something that we invented <laughs> now. It's there's been kind of creepy stories for ages. Um, I know I think like uh, the the writer actually um, I think it was like Harlan Ellison or something ended up talking about that. I think either that story or he was talking about um, that radio program itself, um, which I know actually I think that is Harlan Ellison ended up doing the one one of your favorites, right, Dave? Uh, that is true. He did. Uh, Harlan Ellison was most famously known for I Have No Mouth But I Must Scream, um, which is actually a, f- a fantastic little short story because um, mainly Harlan did, he was a short story writer uh, in various genres. Unfortunately, he was in a lot of ways underappreciated at the time. Um, and actually, in sad news, he just recently passed away, um, I think actually back in July okay. this year, uh, unfortunately. Oh, June this past year. Um, but yeah, Harlan Ellison wrote uh, my favorite horror story. Uh, I have no mouth, where, but I must scream, which is a post-dystopian future where essentially the entire human race has been wiped out by a rampaging artificial intelligence with the exception of this small handful of people. Um, and he, I mean, the, the AI refers to itself as he... He essentially kept them around just to torture them because he's bored. Uh, yeah, and it's it's just this really horrible story about this AI that that basically creates these artificial scenarios to run these people through like they're mice in a maze and likes to see what happens and what they do because it's trying to understand people uh, because it hated people and killed them all. But decided to keep these few and trying to exploit some of their their problems and issues. Um, and what's really clever about it is that the title "I Have No Mouth But I Must Scream" is kind of um, it's in two it's in two parts, which is really interesting. Um, so there's specifically a character that isn't put in a situation where they're they they literally have no mouth but they must scream. Um, but that's that's kind of the more obvious of the two. What it really is, is a reference to the artificial intelligence itself because the AI has no way to express itself. And it is basically this total omnipotent, uh, omnipotent uh, mind that has become so far advanced beyond any type of human thinking that it's, it's basically elevated to this, this unbelievable like godhood of, of processing and thought. But the only thing it has to interact with is this handful of just regular old Joes. And in a lot of interviews, it goes on to explain that Harlan was more talking with the the title, talking about the AI's experience, how it's this brilliant machine that is is basically just stuck on this planet full of nothing except this handful of people. And it's it's basically just this inter- like this eternal hell for this machine that can't do anything and just uh, the frustration about it and how it tries to basically take its frustrations out on these people. Um, so yeah, it's horrible and incredible and really interesting to think <laughs> about. Um, one really interesting fact about uh, I have the mouth, but I must scream is that there is a point and click adventure game 
Uh, I was going to mention that. <laughs> that was that was made in the early 90s, called, also called I Have No Mouth But I Must Scream, and is essentially a direct sequel to the book. And the point-and-click adventure is also written by Harlan Ellison. Um, so the story that's being told um, was his story and a continuation and kind of a broadening of the scope. Um, so it is a, a true telling of the story that Harlan wanted because he wrote it. And he also actually narrates it um, for a lot of the, the, the point-and-click adventure interactions. Um, it has some of the, the, the problems of classic point-and-click point adventure where you're trying to find the magic pixel kind of stuff. Um, but it's really good, and it's super dark. And it's if, if you like Harlan Ellison's writing style or even uh, Poe's writing style, I think there's some comparisons you can draw there. Um, I would definitely recommend taking a look at it. I'm not sure where you can get it offhand. I know there's some cool uh, Let's Plays of it, uh, specifically the Super Best Friends did a, a Let's Play of it a couple years ago. That was really good. If you're someone who just kind of like want, wants to watch the story instead of having to play through an old point-and-click adventure game. But yeah, Harlan Ellison, especially I Have No Mouth But I Must Scream, that is that is like my go-to scary story. So... Yeah, I always thought that one was a like. I mean, I like I like horror and I like the the creepy stuff, but that's the only one that's like real disturbing. Yeah, it's <laughs> the concept. Yeah, the concept is like really dark. Um, it, yeah, it it's hard to get around. Um, but so in terms of the game games that get us in a spooky mood, uh, Nick, what is your go to spooky game? I wish I had a GameCube to continue playing it. But it came out on the GameCube by Silicon Knights called Eternal Darkness. Remember that one? That little gem? I do remember that gem. Unfortunately, I never had a GameCube. But I've watched people play it. Just like getting that like that little brother experience kind of thing going on. Yeah. It was phenomenal. It's very reminiscent of our, our favorite author. Yeah. It's very reminiscent of my favorite author, Lovecraft. But um, over the course of the game, you deal with like you know, madness, and you're uncovering the history of your family, trying to figure out like the why your uncle had originally died. But um, over the course of the game, you have your typical, you know, your health, your magic bars. But then you also have a sanity bar, which isn't seen often in games. And as your sanity progresses lower and lower, the game kind of starts to bug out on you. You'll start to see stuff that aren't that isn't really there. Um, you'll start to hear things, and uh, rooms will start to really freak out and go crazy until you restore your sanity and you realize like nothing there. And then it'll even get to the point where like you're playing, and then like your character's head will explode, and then the you know you'll see your body you fall to the ground, and the game over screen will happen. And then just as you think you died, the screen will flash and then you'll hear your character is like, what's happening? And they're freaking out because that whole thing, you thought you just died. It looks like you did. Your character and game acted like you did, but you never really did. It was really interesting to see because even ever since then, I've never seen a game even go anything like that. Yeah, it was the first time a game really implemented the mess with you thing. I mean, I think we've seen a couple like indie horror games tried to do something like that, um, mm. but nothing mainstream has really done that. I mean, predating it, you had the the Psycho Mantis um, engagement in Metal Gear Solid, which tried to meta game you a little bit, 
where you had to yeah, unplug. No, I, I actually was thinking about that too. Yeah. Just now. Because had... that's the closest thing that actually comes to where you have to like, oh, you got to get up and you got to change the com- controller ports and he's breaking the fourth wall and like figuring out what you're doing and no other game really does that to you anymore. Not to mention it was like, I don't jump scare easily and that one has one of the most vivid ones that I can still remember where you're just exploring the mansion. You play as like the starting chick who eventually you get to play as later on, but you're exploring the mansion. You go into a bathroom, you see like a tub and then just as you get closer to it, the camera changes and you see like that quick zoom in on the tub and you see yourself as the character, um, you know, um, laying in the tub and just like there's blood everywhere and then you hear a loud scream and then it cuts back to you know the normal camera view and just it happens so quickly and so suddenly without any kind of warning that that still like freaks me out every single time I ever <laughs> think about it like everyone agrees like that was probably the worst jump scare that I've ever had in a video game Next to like the dogs in Resident Evil One coming out of the windows. Oh, freaking! Oh man, Resident Evil One had so many. Resident Evil Two as well. Was Resident Evil Two the one where there's you had the zombies coming through the windows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one got me pretty bad. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, they didn't even hurt you. Yeah, they they, they just, like, just to freak you out. Yeah. Oh man, that got me. Yep. Oh, or Resident Resident Evil Four with the. Um, what are they called? Clickers? Or shakers? The the ones that have No, that's that Clicker clickers are actually in the The Last of Us. Oh, um what was they they, they were like the, the zombies that would like twitch. Oh Yeah, that's the The Last of Us. No no in Resident Evil Four. There was like a zombie that would like twitch and you had to use like your heat goggles to see where to shoot them. Oh, yeah. That game. Yeah. <laughs> it's been so long since I played for it. I don't I don't I don't remember. I'll take your word for it. It's uh, it sounds familiar, but I don't I don't really remember. Oh. I don't know why Resident Evil 4 is like feels so fresh in my head. I don't know. No. I, d- I did play like the other ones a lot more than the newer ones, so. Mm. Uh, Tim, what about you? What's your go-to game? Uh, as far as games, I know we've been talking in previous weeks about uh, Until Dawn uh, that we usually end up going to, just because that one's kind of a, a fun experience game. Mm. Um, I usually don't bring it up necessarily around Halloween. It's more so just uh, whenever we end up having people over that haven't experienced it yet. Um, one that I have loved for ages, though, if you've ever played Condemned, uh, I think it was called Condemned Criminal Origins on the 360. Yeah, that was, that was a you're great game. Like an FBI, yeah, it was an, you're, so you're an FBI investigator following a serial killer. Um, and as you're going through, he starts to get like more and more unhinged. He starts like seeing creatures and all these flashes and whatnot. Um, but I always thought it was cool because... Uh, even aside from like later on when you get the monsters and things kind of popping into your view, um, everybody else in the city is just going kind of crazy. Um, so you're just kind of going through and having all these townsfolk and whatnot attacking you. But the thing that I always found the creepiest is in the second level of the game, uh, you end up going through an abandoned department store 
and you end up seeing all the mannequins. And then it's one of those things where when you look away and you end up looking back in one direction, the mannequins are all in a different position or they're all in different spots. Um, and then like, as you go through the level, like you get to a point where like you turn around to open another door and all the mannequins are directly behind you from there. So I felt like that was always a good kind of scare because it starts off with just kind of that creepiness and makes you uneasy. And then they kind of lead it up to that one towards the end. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever played Condemned. Uh, I played it a little bit. Actually, not too long ago, funnily enough. Um, probably maybe a little less than a year ago, I would say. Um, it didn't didn't age super well. Um, but I do remember briefly getting hands-on with it, probably with you and your brother Al, uh, when you guys were, were really into it. Um, and just being like this super gritty game that, unfortunately, at the point that I played it, it hadn't gone like really supernatural yet. Um, it was just kind of at the point where it's like kind of crazed bums. Um, yeah. And having like pipe fights. But yeah, I, I mean, it was, it's definitely a highly, a highly regarded game and has that, has a really kind of just dark, disturbing tone to it. Yeah, and it's um, granted like it's a little more on the the actiony side, mm. um, only because I know some people they prefer the their horror games to not be able to like have a taser or pick up a weapon and all that kind of stuff. Um, which I also know I don't know if I've ever mentioned Outlast, which might be more in that vein where you're investigating like an asylum and all the stuff involved with it, but you don't have like any weapons, you can't fight. It's just you have your video camera. And you just kind of have to hide from things like under um, beds and inside lockers and all that fun stuff while there's like crazy people and some sort of like monstrous creature type thing going through the the asylum that's built into the, the rock walls. Yeah, um, yeah, I, but, I can't play those kinds of games. <laughs> yeah, like Out, Outlast unnerved me more than Condemned only for the fact that it's like you can't really run. Um, there's no like mechanics to fight back, so it's just like you're hiding under a bed, just watching somebody walk past, hoping that all of a sudden they don't like spring on you. So it's not so much like it's the you don't get as scared. It's more tense for the fact that it's like if they end up finding me, I can't really do anything. Um, but I, it was a lot of creepy visuals, especially for the fact that when you're looking through the um, when you pull up the video camera, there's parts where you're in darker environments, so you have to use the night vision to see through. But you also have a certain number of batteries, so you have to make sure you keep enough batteries to be able to continue seeing in the dark. Um, and then also everybody just looks... Wait, but, wait how do they yeah. look? Creepier. Oh, okay. More, more creepy. Oh, I lost you for a second, so I wasn't sure what you said. Oh, yeah, they... Creepier. Creepier. Night vision. That's true. I mean, yeah. night vision, it is... It's just creepy. It looks creepy. It does. Um, yeah, I'm always on the, the lookout for, like, more horror games in general. So, I mean, if mm -hmm. anybody has favorites out there, please feel free to shoot us a line. Because um, I would like to hop into more stuff. Like Evil Within and all that kind of stuff, too. It's true. Evil Within, I didn't love. Evil Within 2, though, I thought was really good. 
I thought they fixed some of the problems I had with the first game. Yeah, the first one threw me off enough that I didn't end up getting the second one, but I heard good things about it. Yeah, they they it it seems like they listened to the feedback and the the lower reviews they were getting, and it's the second one is solid. It really is. Um, I mean, it very much plays like. I mean, essentially, the first one was kind of like a Resident Evil 4 clone in a different storyline, and this kind of continues that, but the story's a lot more concise, um, the the action plays a lot better, it's, yeah, it's it's a much better experience overall. You guys should play um, The Last of Us. I like Last of Us. I keep hearing about it, I, I I've never played it, I've actually never even seen a trailer for it. Really? Yeah, I know, it's weird. That was good. Hmm. Um, I didn't like the ending, but I mean, that's how you make more more games. <laughs> and plus, the uh, aren't they doing the second one fairly soon? I know, like during the last E3, there were was a trailer going around that looked pretty good. It was. I didn't watch it, but uh, yeah. Um, so for me, um, I guess kind of in, in true style. So my probably favorite horror game to get me in the spirit is a game called Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space. Um, so I say it's true in my style because it's a board game. Well, okay, not a board game. Um, it's also not really a card game, but it's a game that you play with pencil and paper. And is there a board? I don't think there's a board. Anyway, uh, Escape from the Aliens and Out of Space is an asymmetrical horror game where essentially the game is broken down into two teams. You have the spaceship crew and you have the the aliens invading the spaceship. Now, what's interesting about this game is that the whole premise is that aliens have boarded your ship and they're going to eat your faces, so you have to get off the ship. And the problem is, is that the lights are off, so no one can see. So... This is an asymmetrical horror game that is a hidden movement game. So essentially, each player is given a pad of paper and has multiple multiple sheets. Of, it's the same sheet that is a layout of the spaceship. And on your turn, you're going to move your character by marking on your pad, hidden from everyone else, where you're moving on the spaceship. Um, and... What is going to happen is as you're moving through the ship trying to get in the exit is that the aliens are also trying to get you. You don't know who's an alien. You don't know who's a a, a fellow astronaut. Um, and as you move from room to room, you will sometimes encounter obstacles. So moving through certain rooms, which are indicated by icons, like let's say if you're moving through, I don't know, let's say an engineering room, um, while they are more direct towards getting to an escape pod, um, there is a chance that you will make noise as you go through those rooms. So you move through those rooms, you flip over a card, and you see how much or what kind of noise you make. Depending on what kind of noise you make, you have to give away a certain amount of information about where the noise came from. So like, for example, if you go through like an engineering room and you flip over, I think it's like a red foot card, uh, it means basically you hit something with your foot. So you make a minor noise that echoes. So you have to tell someone, so you have to tell everyone a space that you are adjacent to in the spaceship. So you're basically give them, giving them like a one, it's, it's, hexo, uh, it's hexagonal tiles. 
Um, so you're basically giving them like a one in five shot of knowing generally where you are. Um, and depending on where you're moving the ship, the noise could be louder and louder, giving them a better idea of where you are uh, as you're frantically trying to get to the escape pods before someone kills you. Uh, it is extremely tense. Um, it's very balanced because even the aliens don't know who each other are. So there, there's always a chance that one alien might accidentally kill another alien, which is always nice to have happen. Um, but it plays fairly quickly. It is extremely tense. Um, and just a really interesting, fun game that you don't see hidden movement done that way very often. I'd play it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And it's, you own it? I do not. I want to own uh, it. Uh, I just can't, I don't normally get enough people together for it because it is, I think it's like minimum four. I want to say, so it can be tricky, um, but I have played it at uh, a game night up at Quarterstaff. Uh, What's the name of it? Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space. It reminds me of the thing a little bit. The movie or the board game? The movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could definitely see that, that theme. Yeah, because you don't know... Who the alien is, where they are, like the the also the the, the aesthetic is very interesting, um, just because it's, it's like everything. I mean, because you're in a spaceship at night, so like everything is like pitch black with like little bits of character features in the art. So like the box itself is all black, except you have like this small glimpse of like one of the astronauts with like a very shaded kind of alien behind them. Mm. Um, yeah. Really, really cool game. Really tense. Um, I love the theme of it, and it's it's just it's pretty easy to pick up and play. There's not a there's not a lot of components to it. It's mainly you know you got your oh I'm sorry it's not a pad it's a dry erase board that has all the spots you're in, um, and you're just you're just trying to chart a course, flipping over cards, making noise, taking risks on shortcuts that might cause more noise but'll get you closer to an escape pod. Um, it's it's awesome. Uh, but yeah, so starting back at the top of the order, Nicholas, what is your favorite movie to get you in the Hollow Eve's spirit? What is my favorite movie? I wrote down Alien. <laughs> is that is that still true? Well, my top movies are always changing depending on you know my current mindset, my you know what's going on in my life, and but I'm not a horror movie person, mm. but like. There's a good, like, four movies on my top ten list that are horror. Or at the very least, horror adjacent. Yeah, definitely adjacent. (laughs) Definitely adjacent. But Alien is just, like... I remember the first time I watched it, it was the sequel, actually, Aliens. And um, I asked my mom if I could rent it, and she's like, no. (laughs) No? I was, like, five or six at the time. Oh, man, yeah, big no. Yeah, and she's like, no, and I, you know, I begged, and she's like, all right, fine, but you're going to think it's too scary. So, like, the first, I want to say maybe, like, 20 minutes, like, nothing really happens. It's just, like, the build-up and lead-up to it, Mm -hmm. and then it gets to that point where 
you know, all the shit hits the fan, you know, they're bugging, they're bugging out, they're trying to escape, and they're like, all right, I'm cool. It was a little, it was more action than horror. Yeah. But then it gets to that point where, like, they're calling for pickup, and the pilot that's outside runs inside, and he goes to reach for the ladder, and his, like, hand pulls away, and he has, like, all that goop in there. And then he runs toward the thing, but the camera cuts as he runs to the cockpit. And that pilot is like, hey, Spunkmeyer, where are you? She turns around and you just see that super zoomed in of like the alien starling, all the goop and crap coming out of its mouth as it like pulls its lips back to do that, you know, the second jaw to kill her. And it just cuts to like the outside of the cockpit, blood splatters everywhere. And at that point, I ran to the VCR and I turned that off. (laughs) (laughs) You just knew. It was like, nope, not for me. Couldn't do it. Flash forward 20 years later, or not even 20, but you know, flash forward like 15, 16 years later, and I love that movie to death. Absolutely love it. And actually, the first one and the second one kind of tie in their own ways in which one is better, because they're not equally, or rather, they're not um, better overall, just one has better elements to it that the other one just lacks, and it's nothing against it. It's just two different types of movies completely. But Alien Man, like that one still to this day, like it's so revolutionary and how it was able to really do something different and succeed at it. And it's <clears throat> you can't watch that in the like the dark and not get like freaked out over like something like lurking in the shadows trying to grab you. That's um, up. true. Plus just classic Sigourney Weaver. Yep, that's her uh, breakout role. Yeah, she was freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. So good. Oh. So, Tim, what's what is your go-to Halloween movie? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, mean, I was like, gonna say it's probably it's probably tricky. Little tricks. Yeah, I mean, because I watch a ton of stuff for it. Um, kind of the ones that I save for Halloween itself, um, for the most part, is either well Halloween. Um, like on Halloween, I like to watch any of the ones that take place on Halloween itself. Um, so one of the ones I've liked for years is Trick or Treat, uh, which is the 2007 one, not the, the Trick or Treat, the one from, uh, the eighties. Um, but Trick or Treat, it's an anthology one done by the same guy who did Krampus. Uh, I think it is Mike Dougherty or Dougherty. Um, And then they ended up doing like a tie-in comic book or a graphic novel to go with Trick or Treat. Um, But it's an anthology, so you end up following Sam, like this little sack-headed kid with a um, like his bag of treats and lollipop and whatnot, as he just kind of wanders around the town on Halloween night. And as he goes through, it ends up like involving all these other people, like the principal of a school and him turning out to be like a... um, well, not turning out, find out as soon as uh, that he's like a serial killer in town. And then there's just uh, Anna Paquin is with her friends and they're all getting ready to go out to like a party and whatnot. So then it follows their story of like them getting ready and going to the party while like all this stuff is happening in town or all these kids that are collecting jack-o'-lanterns to go out to like the old quarry um, where years earlier there was like a school bus that crashed and now there's all ghosts. It's like all these different stories, and as you go through, they kind of intertwine. Um, so it's kind of cool to like. I always like it when they have things pop up from 
not necessarily like having them have a big impact, but just seeing characters from one story pop up in another, just because it always reminded me of like the, the first episode of the, the X-Men cartoon when they're introducing all the characters. And it just happens that like, oh, while they're introducing Gambit, you just happen to see Cyclops and Wolverine walking through a store in the background, even though they don't come up until 10 minutes later. Um, so it's that kind of stuff where you'll end up seeing the story about the kids. Um, then while you're watching the story with the kids, you'll see like the um, like the principal and whatnot walking through the the parade scene or something in the background. So you can kind of place them chronologically of what happens when because you're able to see all of them intertwining that way. Um, but if you like the anthology and you just like the Halloween stuff, it's a little bit gory here and there. There's some stuff to it, um, but overall, it's one of my favorites and i usually throw that in every halloween huh i don't know that one at all that's really interesting definitely worth checking out wasn't it a blockbuster movie um i don't know if it was it i mean we had it at blockbuster um because that's originally where i ended up renting it now, mind you, when I when I mention that, which we may bring up in future podcasts too, Blockbuster had a lot of exclusives that were strictly horror, mm. and um, that's yeah. <clears throat> if it was part of one of those horror it, festivals, it might have been. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, this one it wasn't. Um, it wasn't an exclusive, but I remember like seeing it first there because at the time I didn't hear anything about it, um, and all of a sudden one day when they did like the the truck came in and that popped up, and I was like, oh. I'll bring it home and check it out um and then i showed it to my brother and he ended up buying it i bought it and we are all on the trick-or-treat train so yeah i mean like i I watch a bunch of other ones too um if anybody's seen on i think netflix you can still see it it's on there tales of halloween um that one's another anthology they're not really they're not interconnected at all um, because rather than one director, each one is a different director, but it has something like, I think, 12 stories. Um, some good, some great, some not so good. Uh, overall, just still fun. Um, so if you just want a, a smattering of a bunch of stuff and you don't mind some gore here and there, Tales of Halloween's a solid one, too. So, yeah, movies. Yeah. So much movie stuff. Um, so for me, so for me, I, I struggle with modern horror films. I, I find that I, I, picking a horror film to watch at face value is so hard that like just perusing Netflix for one, I more often than not find something I don't like or something that's too gory. Maybe I'm just picking on my horror films. Uh, it makes sense. That's that's kind of why I don't like horror movies because mm. it's just oversaturated with crap. And then with us working at Blockbuster for so long, we saw how much crap came out on the weekly that I'm a little more hesitant on just jumping in on movies. True, there was a lot, especially horror. Um, so a lot of times when I go to quote unquote horror movies, I like to go to classical stuff. Um, and so this brings me to kind of my favorite Halloween movie, which is. The classic 1961 film, The Pit and the Pendulum, uh, based on Edgar Allan Poe's uh, book, story, and probably story. Um, and this is the one, uh, the one I'm talking about specifically is the Vincent Price Pit and the Pendulum, which if you don't know Vincent Price. Pendulum? Wait, what? 
The best pit in the pendulum. The best pit in the pendulum. Um, Vincent Price is was the master of horror, probably in the 50s and 60s, where he did everything from Pit in the Pendulum to um, The Fall of the House of Usher. Um, he, the original House of Wax. House of Wax. The uh, one the Raven. I'm pretty sure he played a Dracula at some point. Um, it, it, in that time period, was basically in every horror movie that existed. Um, and Pit in the Pendulum is... Really a fantastic, like, suspenseful story, uh, which is basically kind of a, a story of a, a 16th century Spain where a young Englishman goes to visit a, basically like a, a forbidden castle to investigate a, a, the mysterious death or disappearance, at least, of his sister. And, you know, after kind of a series of events, um, he ends up getting trapped in this, this, this kind of torture device, which is the pit and the pendulum. But basically, the whole thing is him getting to this castle and, like, slowly trying to unravel what's going on while, like, the owner of the castle is trying to be as obtuse and and, and difficult as possible in terms of giving him answers or letting him explore or find things out. Um, and it just kind of all kind of builds and builds and builds until you get to this, this kind of final scene um, of the pit and the pendulum. Uh, and Vincent Price is just a fantastic actor who just has this like air of creepiness to him and anything that he does. And he's just, he's so eloquent and uh, he's just great. He, he has like this kind of almost royal feel to him. So in the pit and the pendulum, he like does such a good job of being this kind of like mysterious, you know, castle manor owner, um, who's kind of like, just trying to to foil this guy's plans at every turn, um, and it's just great. Uh, yeah, I mean Vincent Price. I would recommend anything that he is in ever. Um, and Pit in the Pendulum is definitely probably one of my one of my favorite roles that he's been in. Um, so yeah, that that is me. Um, do you guys have any other fun horror things that you would like to recommend before we close out for this week? Uh, I mean, like, like there's a ton. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm actually like I was telling Nick while we were doing this, I have a um, like a Google Doc, and I just threw down like every sub genre I could think of for horror. Um, so I have like 31 sub genres here, and I'm just listing out um recommendations for each sub genre, and then doing links to IMDb for them. Mm-hmm. Um. Maybe at some point, I'll, like, I'll give it to you as like a, uh, we'll do a post or something yeah, about it for we'll put, Halloween. We'll put it up on the website if you have it done. Yeah, because I like I'm not I'm trying not to do all the the uh, the expected ones or like the standard ones. More so like the stuff that might not necessarily get the love um, that some of the others do. Because I mean, like if you're talking about slasher movies, well, yeah, we know like Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween and whatnot, but like. Anybody ever watch Madman from 1981 um, and that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. So, plus, it's just while I'm still sick, it's an easy thing to just think about and do. Yeah. All right. Well, I will look forward to putting that up on the website uh, if you get your compilation put together. 
Cool. Um, but I think that is going to be it for us. I think this brand long. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll have to see. So I do hope you enjoyed episode 10 of the Scream Lords. This is part one of our Halloween spooktacular. We're calling it spooktacular because everyone does. And we're, by God, we're not going to buck that trend. So, uh, thank you for listening. If, if you want to get in contact with us, please shoot us an email. Let us know. Tell us how great we are, how terrible you are, we are things you want us to talk about, questions about the podcast or anything that we're doing. Uh, and if you want to contact us, you can do that at the, at podcast at the screamingbrain.com. Almost forgot for a second. That's podcast at the screamingbrain.com. You can also follow the blog or what's going on with our game, The Exorcism at the House of Moncton Falls at the screamingbrain.com. That's the screamingbrain.com. We are also on Instagram at the screaming brain on Facebook at screaming brain games and on Twitter at one screaming brain. Uh, Nicholas, if anyone wanted to get in contact with you, how would they do that? You can find me on Instagram at czar Nicholas one and go check out that sweet Ecto one cruiser. Yeah. I was actually working on it as, uh, we were talking, so I got more to post tonight. You son of, um, and Tim, if anyone wanted to contact you, how would they do that? Uh, on Instagram, at Mr. Time, M-I-S-T-E-R, or on Twitter, at Mr. Time, 0080. Awesome. And if you did enjoy what you listened to today, tonight, this afternoon, uh, please please leave us a review on iTunes. Tell us what you think. Uh, if you like the show, uh, give us a five-star rating. It'll help other people find the show and uh, get, get our word out there uh, a little bit more. So we appreciate that. All right, have have a good night, everyone, and a happy Halloween until we see you next week. Later. Stay spooky. Stay spooky, Seattle.